I'm the same like him. I support him. I don't no. say enough. I don't do enough. No. Nope. Where, where I am, I put the. I'm working like a ass. My ass. I, I know. The Christmas stuff that you know. Who gives a f about Christmas stuff and decoration? But I need to do it, right? Yeah, but a hundred percent. You have and no then, choice. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm your host, E. Simon. Special guest host of this week is none other than Kate Rambo. Hello. Hey, Kate. Hi. Thanks for uh, co-hosting the show. You know, I <laughs> no got to I got to say, I, I really appreciate the support from all the fans during this time because it's, you know, I've, I have like all these people DMing me being like, I'd love to uh, co-host an episode. And, you know, I can't obviously can't have everybody co-hosting episodes, but it is really cool that uh, all these people, you know, are supporting the show and volunteering. So thanks for being on the show. Big fan of your band. We actually played, yeah, uh, Kate's, Kate <laughs> is in a band called Goldie Dawn. And we played one of your songs uh, off your EP that came out, was, was that in like March or April? Yeah, March, May. Who remembers this crazy year anymore? It's come out this year. I, I just know the timing was, uh, was kind of shitty because it was like right when the pandemic sort of, you know, yes. launched, <laughs> mm-hmm. so to speak. So did you, so your EP comes out it's being reviewed i know people you know is pretty reviewed rather favorably so did you have like a tour planned and were you ready to go and promote the ep oh yeah we did we were going to go and do like a mini tour with kid congo that was like in the works and then we had we were going to go and do two weeks around europe and just do like a lot of diy shows we were going to go and play with the speedways down in london and play like all the London DIY gigs and that all just got cancelled. But the EP did sell out. To yeah, post. yeah. I mean, it's and sold I know, out. Uh, yeah, red. I mean, I'd seen people <laughs> posting about it, so that's kind of cool that you sold out. Um, but so, so what happened? Like, are you guys are there just no pubs open? Like, are you not allowed to play anywhere? Like, are all no, gigs cancelled? Play. I'm not allowed. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. It. Well, yeah. They, because we're Glasgow based, the free boys in the band, they all live in Glasgow. So they can all meet up and they've been practicing, but there's only so many like jam sessions you can do. And I need to like, we're trying to figure out a way that I can get up there and go and see them because Scotland rules are different. To but they're different in than, England. than England rules. So you live yeah, in England, yeah. they live in Glasgow. So you wouldn't be allowed mm-hmm. just to travel over there. And I thought it's all part of the United Kingdom. Yes, but Scotland is governed by a different parliament in a way. In a way, all the Scottish people are going to be coming for me now. In a way, (laughs) in a way it's different. They have Nicola Sturgeon telling them what to do. But yes, you can, but they have different lockdown rules at the moment. I live along the borders, so it's all crazy. And I don't want to go up there on the train and then be turned away. And at the moment, if you live in different parts of Glasgow, like your households can't mix, you can't meet. It's all, it's mental is what it is. I, I don't understand I'm how they police it. it. Yeah, no, it sucks. But I don't understand how they can police mm. it. Like, do they come around to your house and check to see how many people are gathering? Like the Gestapo? Yeah, like the Stasi. Yeah, like <laughs> the, the Stasi. Stasi. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. 
Are you guys able to do that thing? I see a lot of bands do that where it's like, I'm going to play bass on Zoom, and then you play, you sing, and then it's like you have oh, a whole Zoom off. practice. Yeah, <laughs> Like the Foo that. Fighters. You guys don't do that? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not doing anything like that. I would just rather just not do it. So what have but, they said? Like, when are uh, gigs going to be on again? Well, it's weird because... Is it in Belgium? Like gigs have never stopped. Obviously in Sweden, gigs have never stopped. I think in Germany, gigs are still kind of on as well. It depends where you go, but who knows? At this rate, I don't think anyone will be playing uh, playing gigs until about 2022. Oh, fuck. That sucks. Yeah, I think, I don't it know what suck. they're going to do here. Like all these venues mm. you see trying to do GoFundMes. A lot of bars have been shut down. Restaurants have been shut down in LA, so... Who knows? You know the who knows what's gonna happen. The consequences of this fucking virus. I was um, gonna go and see the Damned this year for like the tenth time. I see the Damned every year, but last year I missed them, and I was like, "Oh, it's okay. I'll just go see them next year." And now it's it's been. It's, I want to see the Damned, and they had to. They were rescheduled their whole tour for September. Can't go see them, can sucks. I? Yeah, I was. It I sucks. had tickets to go see Danzig doing Elvis songs. Oh, amazing! Back in April, which uh, which I paid way too much money for. But of course, that's canceled. They give your money back. I had tickets for Rammstein, well, uh, who were supposed to play last month. I was going to go see Danzig too. I was going to go to Oslo. That. Yeah, well, it was my first time going. I was going to go to Oslo. I was going to go and see like all the black metal stuff, and then I was going to go see Danzig that day. And I booked everything pretty much. And this was at like yeah February time. I was like, it's my t- it's my treat for this year to go see Danzig, and now I can't. So fuck you, COVID. <laughs> COVID does suck. <laughs> However, yes. um, you know, there might be a bright side to COVID uh, with uh, with President Trump getting it. Obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> sure I'm sure you heard that. Uh, Trump announced on uh, Thursday, well, Friday morning, that he and Melania have the Rona. But you know, to be honest, I find that whole thing rather suspect. Either way, it's gonna, because if he dies, you don't want him to die because he's gonna become a martyr. Well, Mike but- Pence would be up next. <laughs> Yeah, and that's bad as well. Yeah. But you also, if he survives, he's going to come back and be like, it wasn't a big deal. It was like, it was okay. Like, he's just going to, either way, it's just not good. I hate him. Well, I think that's what's going to happen here. (laughs) Well, I think what's, what I think is going to happen here is uh, I was reading a couple guys tweeted out that. Trump's October surprise, this guy John Camo, he goes, Trump's October surprise will be the announcement of his, quote, infection. It'll be fake, but Mm. quite dramatic. The twist will then blow Biden off the screens. Uh, The Trump COVID watch will dominate every minute of the news media. And then 14 days later, he'll emerge 100% cured by hydroxychlorine. So Right, so will this... Will this be the vaccine then? And will he be like, everyone can go out and get the vaccine and the world is cured of COVID because of Trump? Is that what his I, big I think it's all a campaign deal? stunt. This is, this is my theory. I think it's a campaign stunt. He, I wouldn't say he blew the debates, but the debates was a shit show. And he came across mm-hmm. looking like this bully 
that you know was uncontrollable and kind of unhinged. And so he's getting a lot of negative coverage from that. And Biden was getting a lot of positive coverage for standing up to him. And so I think what he what he was going what he's planning on doing is like his campaign's like we got to do something. We got to we got to throw up a distraction. And then did you read that New Yorker article about Melania? I, I played a clip in the beginning of the show, but Melania saying fuck Christmas. <laughs> yeah. it's amazing she like comes, comes out being like fuck christmas and then she's like and and those kids being taken away from their parents not a big deal happens all the time they'll get over it it's like she like says this you know in an interview and that comes out another bombshell so i think trump's campaign was like oh fuck we're in triage mode we gotta do something you got the virus and then everybody now is like oh my god the president's a virus you know he's what's gonna happen and so now that's what kind of dominating the news media and like everyone's forgetting about biden and everyone's forgetting about or covering over all this uh, you know fuck christmas talk from melania and so yeah i think that's what's gonna happen 14 days from now you know he's gonna be like i survived god's plague and you know QAnon's gonna be like he's so righteous He's been saying all along, though, that he thinks it's a hoax and all this shite about it's like made up. So does this not make him look weak, though, to his own people who all along has been like, you don't have to wear masks, guys. It's okay. And now he's suddenly got this virus that he doesn't really believe in. Does it not make him look weak if it is fake? Well, I think what's going to look very weak. I think what's going to come out, though, is he's going to survive it and be like, no, you know, it's. You got to take this seriously. I had a near-death experience, and this is my response. This is the vaccine we're going to put. I think he's going to, like, try to use this to his advantage to saying, like, I take it really seriously now, and we're going to – it's my mission to stop this virus. And then right. here's well, the vaccine, and, and QAnon already thinks he's a messiah. I don't know. QAnon was saying that he's he, – this COVID is a whole plot for him to actually go after Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absurd. Right. Yeah. It, no, it's absurd. Um, do you think he bought the vaccine off Putin, who has had the uh, had the vaccine all along, and he's just been biding his time? God, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. But I, you know, I don't know. I've, I've been reading reports recently that uh, he was on like a ventilator. He's in Walter Reed Hospital. So, I mean, he's not the healthiest guy in the world. Well, no, he's not. He spent seventy-two <laughs> years drinking what is it, diet Pepsi, and only eating diet Bloody Coke Big and Max. eating like McDonald's. Yeah, the guy's not that healthy. He's got to be a but diabetic. I'll say- I'll say this because this is what I thought when Boris Johnson had the coronavirus. There's no pictures of him in hospital. There's no pictures of him being deathly ill. Why not? Well, that's a that's Show thing. Show me a picture. I mean, Show me a picture of how sick he actually is. Because people over here, even people who don't like Boris Johnson, were like, "Oh well, I hope he I hope he gets better." It's like, yeah. no, fuck him. Like well, if that he you dies, know, I, I don't saw, give a shit. I was reading that Twitter was deleting any tweets that p- people being like, "I hope he dies," because people. That was the funny thing, of kind of about it wow. when he got it. All the Trump haters just were reveling in the news. Like this, <laughs> yeah. this was my die, favorite die, one I found. Die. This uh, this woman named Cam. She, she wrote, "I hope you get a mutation of the virus that makes your anus fall off." <laughs> So but then he can no longer speak. <laughs> that was people replying to his tweet that he had it. And so mm-hmm. Twitter started going through and like using some algorithm to delete all these tweets. But what's funny about that is the whole, uh, the, you know, the Dem squad of like AOC and Omar and all those, uh, those uh, mm-hmm. senators. They were like, wait, what about all the death threats that we get every day? Why don't you delete those? Yeah. And they're like, well, who cares about you? <laughs> it's the president. 
Did you now know that there is more cases of the coronavirus inside the White House than there is in all of Vietnam? <laughs> wow, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, so Vietnam has finally got its revenge on America. Well yeah. done to the Viet Cong. Well, <laughs> They've stuck it out. <laughs> though I think this whole thing is a campaign stunt, but what poetic justice this would be. If like <laughs> this is the ending, like the whole administration just dies off from Corona. And then we get an oh, election. But you don't want him to die. Because if he dies, he becomes a martyr and he'll be remembered for that. What you want is for him to like have a massive stroke and he becomes like a like an invalid. complete Yeah, he becomes an invalid, a complete rotundo, and then they have to he has to like give up his presidency. Who gives a fuck about Mike Pence? Whatever. But that's the ending I want for Trump. I want him to live for another thirty years as like an invalid. Just kind of like a like the like a you're like the invalid that he mocked at one of his what was at one of his uh, oh, yeah. rallies. I, I do yeah. love that's one of my favorite clips of Trump where he's mocking like a disabled reporter. That would be irony if it came back. Mm -hmm. That anyway. would be real. And plus, living is suffering. Oh yeah, no, nah, especially because it's like a disease that you you know spread so much misinformation about. Said it was a hoax, and then it comes back. I mean, it's, it's poetic justice at its finest, but I doubt that's going to happen. I think it's all a campaign stunt. And speaking of Donald and Melania, I have a question for you, Kate. If you yes. had to spend an evening locked in a one-room hotel room, just a one-room, with who? Okay, with either one of these couples, who would it be? Would you rather spend an evening locked in a room with Donald and Melania, Donald Trump and Melania, or Ian Brady and Myra Hindley? Ian and Myra. <laughs> Wait, so some of the worst killers in Britain's history, you would rather spend a night in a room with them versus Trump and Melania? Yeah, we'd listen to some records. We'd, we'd drink some German wine. Ian would probably make us get dressed up in some lingerie, take some photos. Take some snapshots, some porn snapshots. Some snapshots. Yeah, I'll put them on my Instagram. You know, they'll get lots of likes. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, Trump would probably do the same thing. No, probably... Trump would deny it and then say that I kissed the bed. <laughs> so this week, topic for this week is uh, the Moore's murders, which uh, several listeners have asked asked us to cover it over over the past couple of years. And I mean, I knew about the Moore's murders. I, you know, I've read about it. You know, occurred in the '60s, but I didn't realize like it's considered like the most grisly serial crime in Britain's history. I would say so, yeah. So, I would say there's no worse crimes than what they did. That's what I thought. Like are, People say that Ian Brady and Meyer Henley are like the most hated people in Britain of all time. And I was just like, well, what about like Piers Morgan or Katie Hopkins? <laughs> <laughs> like, aren't they worse? Nearly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, what about like, okay, what about Fred and Rose West? I mean, aren't they? Fred didn't and they, Rose are different. Were, they probably had a higher body count. They may have had a higher body count, but... Ian and Myra killed children. And I know Fred and Rose also killed children, but they they were different in the fact that they were killers apart from each other. Myra and Ian were, they were oh, I don't know, there was something about them. They were a couple and she, she was totally infatuated with him and he, he's been mental forever. Well, I mean, he's it's, been insane. it's still notorious and still bothers people. Um, how did you, so you must have had some, well, obviously you're too young for when the murders happened, but I mean, mm -hmm. did your how did you find out about it? Did your parents tell you about the murders? Is it something that's spoken about? Like, how did you find out about the Moore's murders? 
Right. I've always been into true crime and I've always been into murder. Um, I've always had true crime books. But the reason I actually find out about who Mary Hindley was is people of a certain age in Britain will remember this show called The Day to Day. And they used to have like a spin-off MTV section on The Day to Day. And he was he did a song about <laughs> Myra Hindley in it. And it was about how he wanted to hire a prostitute that looks just like Myra Hindley. Me, oh, Myra. And it was like a pop song. Everyone, everyone of a certain age in Britain is singing this song right now. And then from that, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a book. I'll buy a book about the murders. And I was just turning 16. And I was like on the web, scrolling on like probably rotten.com. And I saw that Ian was putting out a book. Yeah, Ian Brady wrote a book. Yes. Gates of Giannis, yeah. So this is like kind of the days before Amazon. You couldn't get it on Amazon. So I had to go to a local bookstore and had to like special order it. And what year, I like, got that, that was like book. 2000, right? 2001? Yeah, I've, yeah I was 16. It was like, it was my 16th birthday present to myself. <laughs> and then from that, but they're always kind of, they're in, they're embedded in our popular culture. They're popular culture icons over here. You know that you may not know what they've done, but you can picture Ian and you can picture Myra. But the names, you know, who you they know the are. names are notorious. Yes. I mean, the Smiths wrote, wrote that song, you know, Suffer Little Children, where they actually, mm-hmm. where Morrissey actually lists the kids by name, you know, in the song. It's pretty, but it's pretty morbid. But so, yeah. So anyway, uh, several people have asked us to cover this, and you know, I feel like it's a it's a perfect time for it. So I started looking into it. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a very grisly grisly story. Mm-hmm. It's it's harrowing. Um, the Moore's murders were carried out by Ian Brady and Myra Hindley between July 1963 and October 1965, and this all happened in and around Manchester, England. Uh, the victims were five children: Pauline Reed. John Kilbride, Keith Bennett, Leslie Ann Downey, and Edward Evans, all aged between 10 and 17, and four of, four of whom were sexually assaulted. Um, oh, yeah, because, yeah, the last one wasn't, yeah. So the, the Moors, let me just get this out of the way, because at first I was like, what is a Moor? Because I don't think we have that in America. Is a Moor more like a marsh or a swamp? It's a, yeah, it's kind of marshy. It's peat like peat that you cut and use for fire you can like set fire to it peaty but i mean is is it i'm just trying to picture what it looks like like are there moors all over the uk like in northern england oh no no it's just in northern england like i live on the other side of the moors i live on the pennines which are much more like um hard-faced and craggy but the moors a very hilly very hilly area and it may be like soft and marshy but they still have bits of like hard crags that you can like walk over and stuff. Okay, Desolate so it's not like a, a bayou. You can't build a house. No, it's not like a bayou at all. But you can't build a house on a moor and live there. Um, have you ever actually been out to the moors where these where the bodies were buried? I have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you must teenage... have been like a goth, like this goth teenager, yeah. just obsessed <laughs> with morbidity. And you're like, I'm going out to the moors. Do you see Morrissey there crying? <laughs> yes, me and Morrissey <laughs> held hands in our trench coats and cried. We're both moors. vegetarians. <laughs> yeah, both vegetarians. Talked about how meat is murder. <laughs> you know, I was wondering about that. I'm going to get into it with the with the Moors, but I'm surprised more people like, you know, true crime aficionados aren't going out there and being like, we're going to find some bodies. You know, did, did yeah, you ever do that? Do you know what? 
Um, yeah, because you can look at the pictures. It is probably a thing. I bet like teenage morbid angels are doing it right now. But you can look at the pictures of where they would hike and take pictures of each other. And they're possibly locations for some of the bodies. Well, they haven't found other bodies. Yeah, they haven't found They haven't. Bodies. No. And because of the condition of the soil, the bodies are going to be pretty well preserved. They won't be fully decomposed. Oh, yeah, because they're encased within the peat. Yes. So, so yeah. there's nothing going to be eating them. But, I mean, it would It'd be, be quite cool. To fun for the whole family. Body. Go out, do some corpse yeah. hunting. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. So, it's um, Halloween time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so a little background about Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Let's do Ian Brady first. So Ian Brady uh, was born uh, January 2nd, 1938 in Glasgow. His mother, Peggy Stewart, was a uh, unmarried 28-year-old single mother who worked as a waitress at a tea room. Which at first I had to look that up because I'm like, a tea room? Is that like a, like a house of a prostitution? Well, I was like, I just assumed it was like a house of prostitution or something. But it's not. It's just a room where English people drink tea. Knowing Glasgow, it could have been a house of prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> he never knew his, true, his uh, biological father. Um, and so she actually ended up putting her kid up for a, well, I don't know if it's for adoption, but kind of placed Ian in the care of Mary and John Sloan when he was an infant, when he was like four months old. And Stuart, Peggy, still kept in contact with her son and continued to visit him until he was 12. Uh, but she never actually told him that she was his mother. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know, yeah, I don't know who he would have thought she was, but you know, a lot of uh, people that are adopted end up having like that abandonment anxiety. But if you're adopted at like four, four months, I mean, not even four years old, four months old, you wouldn't even know. Like, would you identify this couple as your parents? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what he thought? He probably was like, who is this ugly woman from a tea room <laughs> coming to visit me? <laughs> Who's this slag from the tea room? Um, oh, yes, because he was so British like that. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. Can I can't do. Can I can't you, do a Scottish accent. So do you know even, I have lived on the borders for a long time? No, and I go up to Glasgow all the time, and I can't even do it. <laughs> that's can't like the. It. I think that's worse than mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Brady was a troublesome child. He was a little shit, prone to throwing angry tantrums. And I guess the Sloans had four other kids, but Brady didn't even associate with them. He was just distant, and he like mm-hmm. he kept on going with his uh, disciplinary issues. Uh, but what's odd about it, though, is he was actually a smart kid. Like he was, you know, had above average intelligence. Um, he was even accepted into the Shawlands Academy in Glasgow, which is like a secondary school for uh, above average students. So he even went to like the smart school. Mm-hmm. Um, for Glasgow. He, yeah, <laughs> for Glasgow. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, but Brady, even though he was smart, he was just also kind of lazy and also really selective in what he was interested in. So he continued to uh, be distant, detached himself from his peers and normal activities of his age group. Instead, the only subject that really captivated his interest was World War II, and he was enthralled by the human atrocities that took place in Nazi Germany. This sounds like me. <laughs> well, I was just saying, well, that's understandable. Who isn't enthralled with that playful romp? You know? <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, 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 think about it, though. How old was this in the 50s? 
Yeah, so I mean, it would have been shortly there, you know, shortly it's, afterwards. Yeah, so fresh, so fresh in it's like you know, Lemmy out of Motorhead loves World War Two because he was a world, you know, World War Two baby. So it's so fresh in your memory. I, I mean, I was, Ron Ashton from the Stooges. Well, I was I was just infatuated with it. Just well, mainly because my dad, like when I was growing up, my dad was like, we didn't watch other movies; we just watched Holocaust movies. And he thought it was yeah. very important that you watch these, even at a young age. Like, but he was just like, I mean, I was probably like eight. And it's like, we're watching Winds of War. I don't know if you've ever heard of that series, but I remember this as a kid. And my dad was just like, it's important that you watch this. And I was just like, wow, this is, a, you know, this is pretty dark. But I became like kind of obsessed with it. When did he first make you watch Shoah? Uh, you know, I don't think I ever had to watch Shoah in its entirety, but we watched Shoah as part of our post-bar mitzvah group, our confirmation. Oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had some popcorn, you know, some Laffy Taffy. Well, had a great time. Yeah, I spent a birthday. <laughs> I, wa- I spent a birthday watching Shoah. I made like a whole bunch of food and <laughs> like a whole bunch of sandwiches. I had some like booze and I was like, I'm going to watch nine hours of this because you Woody Allen always over? talks about it. I just watched it by myself oh. and then that night I went out and got really drunk. That would have been a great birthday party. It's like you just invite everybody over, just put show on, and just shut up and not say anything. Be like, this well, is what I want to do. Doing next year. <laughs> so he was, you know, understandably into uh, the human atrocities that took place in Nazi Germany. You could maybe call it an unhealthy obsession. But by age 15, he had already been to juvenile court for petty burglary. Um, he was arrested for a series of small crimes, including threatening his girlfriend with a knife. Um, to avoid being sent to a reform school, the courts agreed to put him on probation. But this is odd, with the condition that he go and live with his birth mother. So, which is kind of where, strange. Yeah. Where was she living at? Still well, in Glasgow. She had a new husband named uh, Patrick Brady, and they lived in Manchester. So Peggy oh, Stewart so and a new husband lived in uh, Manchester. So it's like, yeah, let's just get rid of our problem. Send you to England. You can be England's problem now, which is fair enough. Well, it's just funny that Scotland's just like, yeah, you got to go. You got to go. Go to England with all the other chats. (laughs) Yeah. So Brady Brady moved in with the couple and he took on his stepfather's name. So he became Ian Brady at this point um, in an effort to like, you know, be a part of the family unit. Uh, the, The father here worked as a fruit merchant and he helped Brady find his first job. And this is like, you know, kind of a, a way for Brady to kind of restart his life, you know, in a new city and all that. But no, mm-hmm. <laughs> he remained a loner. <laughs> he just, his interest, he would just go to the library and his interest in sadism just like intensified. He was reading like the Marquis de Sade, Nietzsche, Mein Kampf. Like he was just like, that was his reading list, which actually this is, is like similar to mine. <laughs> I would swipe right on Tinder for <laughs> <laughs> and so within a year, he was arrested again for theft. And this time he actually did do two years in a reformatory. Um, Not and, a bar still. Like what, oh, Just a reformatory. Like a, what's a bar? Did you say bar still? Bar still. Uh, no, a bar, there's going to be a bar still breakout. A bar still breakout. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's, is that like a juvie? Um, yeah, I would say that a reformatory is like a lower level. Bar were harsh. They're like mini prisons, like work but a reformatory camps for kids? is yes. Whereas a reformatory has a bit more of like back then it had a bit more of like a school atmosphere. Whereas yeah, a bar still 
you you know is jail for children in jail <laughs> but adults <laughs> don't go to borstals though right no it's like up until teens. a certain age yeah up until about 18 and then you would go to jail could you imagine how so, chatty like, this must be yeah, can you imagine the testosterone flying about the place? I can see the I can see the pawn in my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the Proud Boys watch that. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so he was released from the reformatory. Decided that he needed a and he did some labor like labor intensive jobs. Hated the blue collar jobs. So he decided he needed a desk job. He taught himself bookkeeping, and he got an entry level bookkeeping job at a place called Millward's Merchandising at the age of twenty. And uh, you know he was an unremarkable employee. They said that he was known for having a very bad temper, which I'm amazed that he would still be hired there, but Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one, yeah. Scottish. It's just kind of a regular attribute. It's got a bad temper. That's fine. Um, but, uh, no one really spoke to him. There's very little, he had very little, uh, interaction with any of the other employees, except there was one exception. One of the secretaries, 20 year old Myra Hindley had a deep crush on him. And tried mm -hmm. various ways to get his attention, although he kind of he kind of appeared disinterested in her. But eventually, he asked her out on a date, and thus began. Did she not try that trick of wearing a really tight skirt and bending over his desk and saying, "I've dropped a pencil, Ian. Can you help me?" Well, this is kind of Mad Men era, so wouldn't that work? That's what I would have done. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know how we how she did it. I don't know if she like. You know, would sit on his desk showing him a little bit of leg. I'm not sure yeah. what happened. But the guy is like, he just seems like such an arrogant cunt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. What did he, what did he look like? Was he, uh, like, would you shag Ian Brady? Or would you have yeah, shagged Yeah, he's Ian not Brady? unattractive. He's not an unattractive person. Who's he, like, if you had to, does he look kind of like, if you had to compare him oh, to a celebrity? His, like Willem what's Dafoe? His, what, what's the guy's name from the thick of it? The, the Scottish it. guy in the thick of it. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, the thick of it's great. I can't. Oh, it's gonna bug me all night. He looks like the guy from the thick of it. <laughs> That's who he looks like. The guy from but, the thick of it. He's a mm -hmm. Scottish act actor. Yeah, the main guy. He looks like him. Was that He's like a kind of like? Was that like a comedy features. series? Yeah, which still applies to this day. I need to rewatch it. I've not seen it in a long Chris, time. Chris Chris Langham. Yeah, Chris Langham. That's who he looks like. Chris Langham. I'm gonna look this guy up. I'm there. I don't think I've ever heard of this. Chris Langham. Oh, it's good. So he looks like a young Chris Langham. They look very similar. If you pulled up Ian Brady next to Chris Langham, they look the same. You know, I, I know exactly right. who Myra. Yeah. So, so was Myra looks... attractive? What, what did, would you uh, shag her? So Ian looks like Chris <laughs> Langham from the thick of it, and Myra. Once she dyed her hair blonde, iconic blonde, she looks like Dusty Springfield. Oh, wow. Does she? Yes. Yeah, you know, actually, I think she does. With the blonde She's kind totally of... got the look of Dusty. This is another reason why I think they're kind of like popular culture icons is because their fashion was fantastic. Because it was the 60s. Impeccable Everyone looked style. great in the yeah, 60s. Yeah. yeah, and it was that impeccable style. That total, yeah, the... You know, and her sister had the big beehive, and they've always got like a cigarette dangling out their mouth. They just looked cool. I'm saying it. They looked cool. <laughs> <laughs> they did. I mean, honestly, I was looking at pictures, and it's like there's a, a, a lot of candid photos of them, and it's just like, yeah, they look stylish. I mean, he wore kind of yeah. cool mod suits. She was always dressed in like kind of go go 60s type outfits. 
Um, yeah. Really cool style. So after a year of being a relentless flirt, she finally got Brady to notice her, and he asked her on a date, and from that point on, the two were inseparable. This is where it all started. So Myra Hindley, um, she grew up in the uh, Manchester area. Uh, her, her father... I guess uh, was like had served with like a parachute regiment. He was like a military guy in the Second right. World War, and he had been known in the army as a hard man. And he expected his daughter to be equally tough. And so uh, I guess he taught her how to fight and insisted that she like stick up for herself. So when she was like eight years old, a local boy I guess slapped her and scratched her cheeks, drawing blood, and she burst into tears, ran to her father, and her father was like, "I'm going to leather you if you don't retaliate." So she found the boy, yeah. knocked him down, and bludgeoned his face with a series of punches. And she wrote later, I guess, I don't know, in her memoir or something, she wrote, at eight years old, I'd scored my first victory. Yeah? So if you think I'm about it. I'm going to Is that a I'm British thing? You. Yeah, do you not know what levering means? Well, I imagine taking your gonna... belt. Yeah, you just no, no, just your fist. You're just gonna fight them. You're oh, it's not them. like your leather belt. You don't like whip them with a belt. No, no, you just you, with your fist. You lever them. You like beat them up. Did your dad say that to you a lot when you were growing up? <laughs> going to leather you. <laughs> I'm going to leather you. Yes, but much <laughs> with more slurring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading that a uh, this uh, professor of forensic psychiatry, uh, Malcolm McCullough, said that. He wrote in a, a book that he wrote about Myra Henley that her relationship with her father brutalized her. She was not only used to violence in the home, but rewarded for it outside. And when this happens at such a young age, it can distort a person's reaction to these situations. Yeah, totally. You know, I can see that. Yeah. So she, yeah, and as she get, but what's interesting is like, so you know, I think she fought when she was when she was young, and was aggressive because of her father trying to win her father's approval. But as she got older. She kind of became somewhat more like shy and reserved, they said. And she even mm -hmm. like went to like a Catholic school. Yeah, she was fastidious about religious. She was Catholic. Yeah, she was fastidious about it. Yeah, she went to like a Catholic church. And people, you know, friends and neighbors described her as being like, you know, reliable and a good person. But apparently, not Well, she was the best babysitter, wasn't she? Everyone used to get her to come and babysit. Before or after like the, the murders? Well, this is this age before. Yeah, getting married in late. Well, it can't happen again, can it? <laughs> um, so it just took one date for these two to realize that they're soulmates. And when Brady asked her on a date, um, he asked her out to the cinema. And I was reading that sources say that the film was Judgment at Nuremberg. Nice. <laughs> That's a first date. <laughs> I, I would be... Yeah, and then I, did they have dinner or? I would have pulled the popcorn trick for sure at that point. I, at Judgment would for that Nuremberg, <laughs> that probably would have worked on me. I mean, like, you, you know things about me. <laughs> <laughs> so the dates, their dates followed a regular pattern. Trip to the cinema, uh, usually to watch an X-rated film. So we're going to go watch porn in the movies. And then back to Hindley's house to drink German wine and read aloud passages from Mein Kampf. I'm getting a bit of a boner. <laughs> is this like a perfect date for you? Yeah. <laughs> so it is at this point after dating him that Henley began to uh, 
emulate that whole Aryan ideal. Like she bleached her hair blonde. She would put mm-hmm. on thick crimson lipstick. Um, though she did, I guess at one point I was reading that she expressed concern about some aspects of Brady's character in a letter to a childhood friend. And she mentioned an incident where he had actually drugged her and took pornographic photos of her. When, uh, what type of drugs? That's what I'd want to know. Probably uh, In the 60s, they were probably... Probably quaaludes. Like, I bet you gave her ludes. Was that not more 70s? I would have thought it would have been like Benzedrine. Oh, yeah, I guess it could have been benzos. Yeah, in the 60s. All the mods were taking benzies back then. They probably but... did that. Um... Is that a concern? I would have been like, more, Ian. <laughs> Let's do more. <laughs> See, it's a good thing that me and Ian Brady never met. <laughs> yeah, I think th- I think Ian Brady might be your soulmate, it's sounding like. <laughs> um, but I haven't yeah. even described what Brady did yet. So we'll get to that. So Brady, you know, kind of took the role of the teacher and Henley was his student. You know, they would read Marquis de Sade, they read Nietzsche, Mein Kampf. Um, Henley even quit attending church services when Brady said, there's no God. You're wasting your time. Well, he's right. Well, it's just funny. I mean, they would spend hours watching X-rated movies and looking at porn, reading, you know, Nietzsche and Mein Kampf. It kind of seems like a lot of my past relationships. You know, it's like what once, is wrong with this? Yeah, well, that's this sounds what I'm saying. like a perfect pi- pairing. Yeah, well, like once you them. get to that mind comp stage, you know it's getting mm-hmm. serious. <laughs> you know, it's like it's time to introduce her to the family. We're reading mind comp together. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> to it's, the it's, rabbi. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a milestone in a, every relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brady was Hindley's first lover. And she was often left to tend to her bruises and bite marks that came during their lovemaking sessions. You know, he was violent. I'm, bur- I'm burning up right now. <laughs> he, would, he would drug her. He would pose her body in various porn positions. He would then take pictures that he would share with her later. Ooh, in a wank book. I think they had a wank book. It sounds like they actually had a book that they would, a book of photos that they'd probably wank to. A wank book. It's a good term This is for hot. It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what i'm saying this also seems like a lot of my previous relationships um yeah she uh she distanced herself from friends and family and often avoided avoided answering any questions about her relationship with brady like you know her family would have been like all right this is getting weird mm-hmm. like do, do you think your parents would have been concerned if you started dating some kind of weirdo loner nazi guy and you're showing up with bite marks all over your neck well i've I've been on my own since I was 16, so there's been no, no oh, worry so maybe they that. wouldn't care, yeah. I can, I can date any, any guy who wants to bite my neck. He's quite okay <laughs> with me. <laughs> but okay, but you have, I'm sure you have friends that would be like, you know, you got a lot of these unexplained bruises all over your face. Is everything cool? Like, do you think That's your friends true. would be concerned? Um, yeah, maybe, but... At well, the same time, I'd be like, just you wait till you I'm hear how he reads mine. The way he reads mine camp to me when I'm bent over, <laughs> drugged, and he's taking pictures. If you were there, you'd understand. It's very romantic. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so Brady's control over Henley increased, and so did his outrageous demands. But she would make every effort to satisfy, like satisfy his desires without even questioning him. But Brady, he'd found a partner who's willing to venture into like this sadistic, macabre, you know, fantasy world of his. And so 
yeah, this I mean, this is in the 60s, yeah. So in the 60s, like men weren't the people were still sleeping in separate beds, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I think a lot so, of couples were, yeah. To so, be, I mean, like obviously, BDSM nowadays, when it's consensual, it's a part of like a lot of everybody's life, but back then it would have been truly outrageous wouldn't it it's probably part of why maybe they are considered oh, i mean so i'm sure evil. they had bdsm back then what, what about like uh like betty page and she do a lot of like bdsm type yeah that was in the 50s but i mean this is like northern britain in the 60s oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. men were not going down on their wives like this was not something that would happen it's, it's interesting though that how many couples were just like watching porn together even back then Oh, very few. Very few, you know. I would say. But yeah, what's, it was what's like... weird about this, though, is you can see how... So Brady, I mean, that guy's a deviant, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Hinley was. But Hinley, in order to satisfy him, kind of like developed this cognitive dissonance to justify what he was asking her to do. So I think like the fact that they were both experienced pleasure from this like you know perverse environment or whatever... She was avoiding any of these guilt for the desires because she was like, it's Brady that wants me to do this, and I love him. Do you know what they call that? This is the Imago theory. Do you know that? No. What's what's the Imago theory? So the Imago theory is that subconsciously, you are always trying to heal your childhood wounds. So you will seek out in partners maybe something that happened to you in childhood or even good or bad so it it could have been nice what happened or bad what happened to you but you want to heal the wounds so because her dad partner yeah because her dad was an abusive hard-faced prick naturally she is going to be attracted to abusive hard prey hard-faced pricks because that's what comes along next it's the imago theory this yeah is no totally it makes sense i have happens. i have heard of that but that's exactly what's happening in this situation it's like a textbook example yes you know um so around the around like 1963 henley claimed that brady began talking about committing the perfect murder and so have you ever mm-hmm. seen so he often spoke to her about uh meyer levin's compulsion um, which was uh, published as a novel in 1956 and then adapted for the cin- cinema in 1959. But it tells a fictionalized account of the Leopold and Loeb case, which Hitchcock, you know, uh, did you ever see the movie Rope? Yes. Yeah, which is also film. kind of based on that as well, which is, uh, you know, two young men from well-to-do families attempt to commit the perfect murder. In, the, in this, <laughs> in Compulsion, it was a 12-year-old boy, but in uh, Rope, it was like one of their college peers. But it's like it's such a disturbing movie because it's like they they murder the, these two guys or murder this guy and they they like hide him in like a like in like a, I don't know, like a cedar chest or something and then all had dinner they had dinner with like his girlfriend and his parents while the corpse freshly murdered corpse was inside the cedar chest. It's such a yeah, it's such a that. twisted movie. It's like on Rocky Horror when they all go to the dinner and Meatloaf is in the coffin. <laughs> Fast Eddie. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> Very similar. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, Brady began talking about this and was kind of obsessed with it. And so this is what started the murders. This is what kind of kicked it off. July 12th, 1963, Pauline Reed. She was 16. She was walking down the street when Hindley pulled over in a van 
that she was driving, and she asked uh, if she could help her find a glove that she had lost. And so Reed, who was friends with Henley's younger sister and, and knew her, agreed to help. So uh, Henley drove her out to Saddleworth Moor, and Brady met the two shortly afterwards. He took Reed onto the moor where he beat, raped, and murdered her by slashing her throat. And then together they buried the body in the moor. According to Brady, Henley participated in the sexual assault, but not the murder. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll never know if she did or not. Well, find the, the, the whole technique of this, like, can you help me find my glove? Wouldn't you be like, what? At least offer, like, whiskey <laughs> or licorice or something. <laughs> licorice? Is that what get you onto a mall, I would David? probably be like, well, or like, you know, I got some marijuana. It's like it's something. It's like, I'm not going to help you find a fucking glove. And they use this then technique. No, it worked very well. In the 1960s, fashion was everything, and clothes also cost a lot more. So if you've got a nice pair of leather gloves, you are buying those leather gloves to last you a long time. It's not like fast fashion didn't exist. Yeah, but would you help someone to find one? I'd be like, fuck you. Well, if it's my sister's, what, if it's my friend's older Older sister, sister, yeah. and she's like, oh, yeah, come and help me, and then I'll drive you to the dance afterwards. If I'm like... I'd probably be like, yeah, okay. Because you know her from around. It's not like you don't not know this person. But if that was me nowadays, I'd be like, go fuck your glove. <laughs> like, don't give a shit about your glove. I'm not going out onto the mall. I think like people were much nicer. PM. Yeah. And plus, would you be people also. People were nicer. But, but would you were. also be suspect when it's like now you're driving out to this creepy fucking moor? It's like, oh, you lost your glove over here? All right, let me out of the car. <laughs> Um, so November 23rd, 1963, shortly after, um, Pauline, uh, John Kilbride, age 12 was at a market in, uh, Ashton under Lynn, Lancashire. And he accepted a ride home from Brady and Henley. And once inside the car, he was in Henley had a Ford Anglia car. Uh, Brady said they'd have to make a quick detour to their home for some sherry. And as they were heading to the, to his house to get sherry, he's like, well, I'm going to take, can we just do another quick detour? Um, Myra over here lost a glove on the moor. So uh, we're going to go look for the glove on the moor. And when they reached the moor, Brady took Kilbride with him while Henley waited in the car. He sexually assaulted Kilbride. And then he tried to slit his throat with a six-inch serrated blade before strangling him with a shoestring. Mm. So Brady was a bisexual opportunist here when it came to murder. Yes. Yeah, I don't think Didn't he... Didn't care. Yeah, I think either one. It's another just... thing, yeah, another thing that sets him kind of apart from a lot of other serial killer couples. Because a lot of serial killer pu- couples, it'll be, you know, we have yep. a certain type of person we're going to go for. But, yeah, now they're bringing in young boys yeah, into the situation. Yeah, young boys, and young Myra's, girls. Yeah, and Myra's letting him, letting him rape and participating I would say enabling and driving around. Yeah, yeah she's, she's enabling totally it. enabling. So, so yeah, sim- a similar instance here with uh, Keith Bennett. Uh, this was in uh, almost a year later, June 16th, 1964. Keith was aged, he was 12. He was walking to his grandmother's house when Hindley approached him and asked him for his help in loading boxes onto the truck, the truck where Brady was waiting. Uh, then they offered to drive the boy to his grandmother's house, but instead... They took him to Saddleworth Moor, where Brady let him. <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> where Brady led him to a gully, raped, beat, strangled him to death, and then they buried him. Um, yeah, it's like they definitely so had this down his, pat. His MO is changing now, though, because he knows that you know 
slitting their throats is really messy. So I'm just going to start strangling them now, which is very personal. It's much yeah. more personal to strangle someone than it is to stab them, I would say. Yeah, I mean, well, I think then you actually, like, you know, watch the life, you know, Drain escape. out of them. Yeah. Do you think that he was inside of them as he was strangling them? What, you're saying he was, like, raping them while he was strangling them? You know, I don't know. Yeah, do you think he was maybe a necrophiliac as well? I wouldn't put it past him. It's like, a, a, well, at what point does it become act? necrophilia? Because if they're living, I mean, they're dying while you're raping them. So it's like, technically, it's not quite necrophilia. It's like S&M, but then when they die, then it's necrophilia. So you're kind of Philia. on a fine line there. You got to yeah. time it unless you want to be a necrophile. <laughs> it's all about the timing. It's all about the timing. <laughs> yeah. Like You got to sit there and be like, all right, pull my dick out right before, right before death. Or then you're yeah, a creepy necrophile. <laughs> yeah, I'll do anything, but I won't fuck a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so the next victim here, uh, Leslie Ann Downey. Uh, this happened, she was murdered on December 26, Boxing Day, um, 1964. She was age 10. Uh, she was selling, celebrating Boxing Day at the fairgrounds when Hindley and Brady approached her and asked her to help them load packages into their truck. And then to their house. You know, this is the what this whole loading boxes and packages seems to be a very effective technique for 1960s English youth. Well, it was also an effective technique for Ted Bundy. Yeah, I guess he would. Well, he would ask for help, right? And then they'd look look into his trunk and they'd bludgeon him. So would John Wayne Gacy when he was picking up people? Come to my house. I have some work for you. I'm surprised that would work with it. Well, John Wayne Gacy was offering them money. Because I don't think I don't think Yanks. Mm-hmm. If I was walking down the street and like some guy was just like, "Hey, can you help me load packages?" It's like, you know, "Hello, governor, I'll help you load these boxes in the lorry." It's like that doesn't happen here in the U.S. It'd be like, "Fuck you, you know, we're yeah. too self-serving." Oh, so you like, need how much? Some help there. Yeah. yeah, it's like how much you're gonna pay me, you prick? Like <laughs> Americans are just dicks. But so anyway, Leslie Ann Downey, ten years old, uh, they approached her and asked her if she'd help them load packages. And obviously, you know, she's a saint. She was like, "Sure." And she goes with them to their house. Once inside the house, the couple undressed and gagged the child, forced her to pose for pictures. Then they raped and strangled her to death. Mm. Following day, they buried her body in the moors. Yeah. How old is she again? Like six? she was ten. Ten. Yeah. My awful, word. Awful. So young. Yeah. So during this this period, Hinley had a younger sister named Maureen, and Maureen was married to a man named David Smith, and they started hanging around with Hinley and Brady, especially after they moved, you know, in the same town. They're close to one another. So Smith was also had a bit of a history of being a criminal, but he liked Brady, he admired Brady, and they would often talk about how they could rob banks together. Um, Smith also thought it was really cool that Brady was into Mein Kampf. And so he kind of took, he, Brady took on the role of mentor with him and he would read Smith passages of Mein Kampf, kind of similar to what he did with Myra when they first started dating. You One know? of my ultimate fantasies is robbing a bank, but I want to be like a low level bank robber. Like I will help someone drive a car from like, you'll be like the getaway driver. No, I don't want to be like that far up in the chain. I want to be lower down. Like I will enable somebody to get from like A to B so that they can rob a bank and I'll say take away 14 grand. But I just want to be part of a bank robbery. It's like but a so ultimate wait, fantasy. You would drive them to the bank, drop them off and leave. You wouldn't wait for them to be done with it and hop in the car? Not even necessarily going that far. I would just be like, I would pick somebody up 
from like a train station, drive them to somewhere where they can get a set of clothes and get into the other car. That's like the level I would like to be at. Very and low 14, level. Who's going to pay you chain. fourteen grand for that? I'd give you two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I mean, I'm a Jewish bank robber. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Jewish, Jewish bank, bank robber. robber. I'd be like, you're just driving me to get a change of clothes. That's two grand for you. Hey, do you know what? I would probably accept two grand just because it is a fantasy to be low level involved in bank robbing. Would you want to wear like a dead president's mask? Like, you know, like Richard um, Nixon mask just to make it official? I would like, I would like a Nixon mask, not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> so, so I would be like David Smith. I'd be sat there going, tell me more about this Mein Kampf, Mr. Brady. <laughs> Let's read another passage, Mein Kampf, please. Yes. I want to have some good dreams tonight. Um, so David Smith didn't realize that Brady's real intentions went beyond, you know, expanding this guy's intellect. He was actually really? priming Smith so he could get them to help in the, in the ghastly crimes that he was committing with Myra. And uh, as it turned out, Brady, who felt that he was actually going to be successful in manipulating Smith, he was wrong. I mean, this guy was so arrogant that he thought he could start a murder cult. Oh, totally. He's yeah, like I mean, he thought he was like Manson narcissist. or something. I mean, what yeah. a prick. Mm-hmm. Arrogant fucking cunt. And he thought that uh, he was going to convince Smith to be a part of their murder games. Um, so the last murder here was a guy named uh, Edward Evans. He was 17. He was probably the oldest one, actually, the oldest victim. Um, yeah, he, he was, but he was rotundo, wasn't he? Was he rotundo? I, I think he had learning difficulties. So he may have been 17, but he was probably 10 in his mind. He definitely wasn't well, all this, there. So this happened October 6, 1965. Uh, Edward Evans was lured from, a Manchester, uh, from Manchester Central to Hindley and Brady's home with a promise of relaxation and wine, which that kind of makes sense to me. Because it's like the glove and the boxes. (laughs) It's like, that's not going to work. But if someone's like, hey, man, we'll give you a shoulder rub. We've got some wine. (laughs) And not to mention, they were in a, like, Brady had seen Evans before in a gay bar. that he had been been cruising Mm -hmm. looking for victims. So, you know, if you're saying Brady's attractive, this guy's like, I'm going to get laid, get some wine. That makes sense to me. Death is the ultimate relaxation as well. So it wasn't like they were lying. (laughs) But I mean, I can see like this scenario working on someone because they're just like, oh, yeah. More than a glove. Uh, More than like, oh, help me find the glove in this creepy fucking foggy moor. I'd be like, no, fuck you. Um, (laughs) So he introduced Hindley as his sister and the three, which is also kind of odd, but they drove to Hindley and Brady's home. And uh, that's kind of where he suffered a horrific death. He ended up uh, attacking the young man with an axe. And so David Smith actually was there, and he saw it. Um, he, uh, he told the officer, he actually called, this is an eyewitness account. He said um, he waited about a minute or two, and he heard a hell of a scream. He said it sounded like a woman, like high-pitched, and the scream carried on. You know, one after another, just really loud. And then he heard Myra shout, yeah. Dave, help him very loud. He said he ran in and he just stood inside the living room and he saw this young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs on the floor and he was facing upwards and Ian was standing over him, facing him with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs and the lad was just screaming bloody murder and Ian had a hatchet in his hand and he was holding it above his head and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet and Smith said he heard the blow. He said it was a terrible hard blow. 
it sounded horrible, and you'll never forget the sound. And then he watched Brady uh, strangle Evans with like a length of electrical cord. But apparently Brady sprained his ankle during the struggle, and Evans' body was too heavy for, uh, for Smith to carry to the car on his own, so they just wrapped it in a plastic sheet, and they put it in the spare bedroom before taking it out to the moors. Or the plan was that they're taking it out to the moors. As a nice little house guest. Oh, yeah. Ed, Edward's staying the night in the spare room. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell, like, smashing somebody's face in with a hatchet. That's escalating, isn't it? This is when people start getting sloppy in murder. Because when you go to the morgue, there's going to be no witnesses, is there? You can go there. One of you can keep a lookout. Like a watch, yeah. Yeah, and then the other person does the crime. But now you're doing it in houses. You're doing it with hatchets. Like, there's other people. Like, there's neighbors. People are going to hear this, Ian. Ian, well, you're also, slipping. Also, bringing David Smith into it was an oversight on Ian's part. I think Ian thought he had, like, a willing like a willing accomplice who's going to go along with it. But what he found out was that uh, Smith had a conscience, you know? <laughs> and so Smith called the yeah. police. And within hours... After getting the call, the police searched Brady's home, and they found Evan's body. And under interrogation, Brady insisted that he and Evans got into a fight, and that he and Smith murdered Evans, and that Hindley was not at all involved. Uh, Brady ended right. up being arrested for the murder, and Hindley was arrested four days later as an accessory. So, so she was still she was still out, and could hide evidence while Brady was. Uh, being well, interrogated which i think what that, which she did though. by the british police yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah come on scotland yard you can do better than that yeah um so david smith told investigators that brady had stuffed items into a suitcase and that's probably what happens he probably put a bunch of shit into a suitcase and then was like myra you gotta hide this um a wank suitcase where the, he keeps the all wank his book. wank yeah and that's the where wank he keeps all the porn and... pictures and <laughs> yeah. so he suggested it might be at like a railway station and so police ended up searching manchester central and they found this suitcase which had pornographic pictures of a young girl and a tape recording of the young girl screaming for help that was leslie Ann that was downey. leslie ann downey the, the girl in the pictures and on the tape is uh, leslie ann downey uh, the name mm -hmm. John Kilbride was also found in another book. And then they searched the home and they found like several hundred other porn pictures taking the couple's home and some taken on like Saddleworth uh, Moore. Like they took, yes. they took porn pictures of these, of these corpses in, on, in the Moors too, which is just creepy. And this is, this is kind of another weird tidbit I found is that uh, a lot of the photographs, so there'd be photographs of like, you know, these naked raped dead children but there'd also be photos of Henley's dog puppet, sometimes as a puppy. And so detectives wanted to date these photos, so they had a veterinary surgeon examine the dog to determine his age. And the examination required a general anesthetic from which puppet didn't recover from. They killed Another Myra Henley's dog. <laughs> <laughs> Henley was furious, and she accused the police of murdering the dog. And uh, she wrote to her mother. She said, I feel as though my heart's been torn to pieces. I don't think anything oh, could hurt me more than this. The only consolation is that some moron might have gotten a hold of Puppet and hurt him. Oh, that well, maybe Puppet true. hurt. Yeah. So maybe Puppet hurt the Didn't hurt the that happen with Nielsen's dog Bleep as well? They just put him to sleep. They were like, this dog is old. This dog has seen a lot of men die. We're just going to put this dog to sleep did they 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 euthanized nilson's dog too 
I think they did. I, I, unless he went in for an operation, and he never came out. But like bleep did not survive. How fucked so. up is how fucked up is that? That poor dog, but oh well. Yeah. <laughs> like, it has seen murder. So anyway, uh, there's a trial. Didn't take very long to convict them, but he was charged with murdering uh, Edward Evans, John Kilbride, Leslie Ann Downey. That's what Brady was charged with them. And Hindley was charged with murdering Edward Evans, Leslie Ann Downey, and for harboring Brady after she knew he had killed John Kilbride. Uh, both pled not guilty. Uh, David Smith was like the prosecutor's number one witness until it was discovered that he had actually had a monetary agreement with the News of the World. They like paid him exclusive rights to his story. So he was profiting off of this whole murder. All the yeah, murders. but he, he hadn't been able to work that whole time. He was like vilified in the press. How He needs well, to make money. He has a wife, he has a daughter. What, so what would you do if you're in that situation? You would, you would think though, well, I would have sold out for sure. I probably would have waited though and been like a little more discreet about it. But you'd think- It's the Jew version, yeah, <laughs> the Jew. Then I would have written a book afterwards. <laughs> um, but you'd think he was a witness. Like he was the reason why, you know, these murders were uncovered. So you'd think but like the, the press, media would adore him. In the British press though, he was vilified. He a lot of people because Ian and Myra came out and said that he had participated and everyone believed that. They all believed that he was an evil person. He did not have it easy. Him yeah. and Maureen were like chased out of town, even though they did nothing wrong. They they were just fought as being just, just as the association. of the crime. Yeah. Yes. And Which is sad, but that's what the British press is like, and the British press has not changed since the 60s. So during the trial, they actually played a 16-minute tape recording of, of uh, Downey being murdered, and you could hear oh, wow. Brady and Hindley. Um, they're audible on the tape, and uh, I guess uh, Hindley admitted that her attitude towards Downey was brusque and cruel, but she claimed that that was only because she was afraid that someone might hear Downey screaming. Hindley claimed that when Downey was being undressed, she was downstairs. When the porn pictures were taken, she was looking out the window. And she oh, said that when Downey really? was strangled, mm -hmm. she was running a bath. You know, I looked a nice all over. Bath. I, I looked <laughs> yeah. all over for the audio, couldn't find it. Um, You'll never be able to find it ever. Well, they it, played I'm it for the jurors. Sure it would have been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, from I'm the amazed. 1960s. Yeah, I'm amazed though. It's like you think they, you know, the BBC would have archived that somewhere. I've got the transcript. Like, you can read the transcript of it, which is still just as bad. Yeah, someone made a video on YouTube where it's like the text from the transcripts being played out. There's no audio, but you just see this like little girl. Like, there's like footage of that poor little girl. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't want to watch this. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah. as much as I love like true crime and I like I go on best car all the time. There are things that I just like, don't I'm just need not to interested hear. in seeing this, yeah. Yeah, and I don't need to hear a little girl, a ten year old girl being fucked and then no. killed by Ian Brady. No thanks. It's okay. Yeah. I'm surprised like some metal band hasn't sampled that, but driving <laughs> gristle or something. Goldie um, Dawn, EP2. Yeah, you got some time, next EP. So uh, on May 6, 1966, the jury just took two hours of deliberation but returning a verdict of guilty for all charges for both Brady and Hindley. Brady got three terms of life imprisonment. Hindley received two life sentences and a concurrent seven-year sentence. So just two hours. 
Um, Justice uh, Fenton Atkinson here described the murders as truly horrible and the accused as two sadistic killers of the utmost depravity. Yes, I think very it's pretty true. apt. I think that's pretty yes. apt. Yes. You know? It was true then and it's true now. What's interesting about this, though, is they, so they maintain their innocence for 20 years until, like, I think Brady, yeah, after 20 years in prison, confess, eventually confessed to the murders of Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett. Well, he's being interviewed by a newspaper journalist. And so based on that information, the police reopened the investigation in the 80s. Um, and Brady just was completely scornful and uncooperative. Like, was like, I'm not even going to help you out with this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just that shows you how arrogant right. this guy was. <laughs> yeah. 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 Seems um, about right. But Hindley actually ended up uh, like in the 80s trying to get parole. And so she uh, made a tape confession to her involvement in the murders of Pauline Reed and John Kilbride and the other victims as well. She didn't confess to being present during the murders, but she said she was involved and uh, said that she would try to help find the bodies. And so I have a couple clips here. Let me play one of these clips. Her voice is so fucking creepy. She smoked for years. I wonder if it, how Northern is, how Manchester's are. And this time, Myra Hindley decided to begin confessing. The information she provided over months of searching helped locate the body of Pauline Reed. She returned twice to the moor to try and help find Keith Bennett, leading police to the area where he disappeared. I couldn't live with a burden of guilt anymore. It wasn't mm. just a sudden decision thinking, oh, I better do this and I'll get parole in 1990. On the contrary, I told yeah. the police I, I wasn't applying for parole. It's widely believed that Brady, uh, I confessed because I knew Brady was on her job. So does she sound northern to you? Aye, she's got the elongated vowels of the north. I can it's hear a northern it. bird, this Myra Henley? She's a northern bird. She kind of sounds like a man to me. Does she kind of sound masculine? She does, she does sound very masculine. I was thinking that it's kind of hard to like hear her as well, like to just hear what she's saying. Does that yeah. make sense? Whereas on the contrary, I confessed and he wouldn't until the July, until he, until after they found Pauline Reed and until he'd seen me on Saddleworth and knew that I was not messing about and I was going to where the areas of the graves yeah. were. And that's when he, the police began to um, get rambling garbage off him. You know, uh, she ended up cutting off the relationship, like I think in like 1971, like right after you know they were mm-hmm. right after they were incarcerated. She just cut off the relationship. Um, she's quite soft, right? Even though she does sound like a man, she's quite like soft spoken. You've really got to like listen to her to yeah. be like, hmm. Well, that could act- be like cut part of her. Like, you know, the reason she'll entice you in. Because she did get a lot of supporters while she was in jail. Yeah, I find that kind of amazing that these uh, supporters, like all these people were like, well, I think it was like half and half. Like when she was, uh, I watched some video that when she was on, uh, they had like a group of women that were like supportive of the parole and then a group of women that were like completely against it. One of them was Downey's mother who was like, I heard audio of my tape, uh, 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 you know, an audio on a tape of my daughter being murdered. No, this woman yeah. should never get released from prison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she had tried. I mean, she tried several times, but uh, yeah, never, you know, she was rejected all three times that she tried. So 
Brady spent the uh, first 19 years of his incarceration at Durham Prison, but then in ni- November 1985, he was moved to Ashworth Psychiatric Hospital after being diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. And it was there yes. that he did like a hunger strike for years. 13 years, wasn't it? 13 was years, yeah. And uh, they, food, had, well, they force fed him. For they force fed him. No, they yeah, force fed him. crazy. Yeah, and then he, uh, yeah, he fell ill back and forth, and he just he refused permission to be force fed, and uh, was just on this hunger strike. He just wanted to die, and he even asked. Yeah. He said he would confess if they would allow, give him the means to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And so when he was at uh, Ashworth, that's when he wrote the Gates of Giannis, which was uh, published in two thousand one by Farrell House. Um, and in the book, it's kind of like an analysis of serial murder and just specific yeah, serial killers. Five different serial killers. And it's kind of like a regular, it's kind of like reading a Wikipedia article. He talks about what they did. And, and then at the end, there's his little analysis of like where they went wrong, what they could have done better and how they got caught. Who, uh, very, who did he cover? Very narcissistic. Um, John Wayne Gacy does a big oh, passage Gacy. on him. The Green River Killer, Richard Ramirez, um, Dean Coral, which is kind of the Candyman. Oh, which, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of an uncommon one. one. That's a good one. We should it actually is an do that guy. One. I might do that guy in second wrong one these days. Yeah, um, Dean Coral's a great case. So uh, he ended up dying of uh, Brady died, uh, May twenty seventeen. Actually, the fifteenth of May twenty seventeen. Not even that long ago of uh, pulmonary disease. He had a heart attack. And uh, yeah, I guess he had refused food for years and uh, he was cremated without ceremony and his ashes were disposed of at, um, like on the sea during the night. Yeah, I wonder so, which sea. I wonder if it's the <laughs> Irish sea. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a very unceremonious. Now, Myra Hindley who still is characterized by the press as the most evil woman in Britain. Um, mm-hmm. She, yeah, made several, several, uh, she tried to reform, claimed she was a reform woman. She tried to, like said, she's no danger to society. She uh, tried to get parole, appeal for parole, like several times, always was rejected. Um, she ended up, which is kind of interesting, falling in love with one of the prison wardens, a woman named Patricia oh. Cairns. Oh, saucy. So she became lesbian when <laughs> she was in prison. Myra Hindley, cell block Hindley. <laughs> um, which I guess uh, former assistant said that our former assistant governor claimed that relationships weren't that unusual between officers oh, of and inmates. Yes. I mean, yeah. Um, with, you know, actually with help from Karen's and in in another outside contact, um, Myra Hindley actually planned a prison escape. But it was thwarted <laughs> by an off-duty policeman. And Cairns, her uh, lover, was sentenced to six years in prison for uh, you know, participating in the plot. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Myra Henley ended up dying November 2002 uh, from bronchial pneumonia. But she, I guess she had been like a 40-cigarettes-a-day 40, 40 smoker. She was diagnosed with angina, and she was hospitalized in 1999 for suffering a, from a brain aneurysm. Um, wow. Yeah, so she was definitely uh, not not in the best health, and she ended up dying in uh, in two thousand two. It was interesting. Didn't her sister? Oh, are you about to say that her sister died of a brain aneurysm? Did her sister die of that? No, her sister died of a brain hemorrhage. Oh right, but isn't that weird that they both died of like brain related? Yeah, Maureen things. died of a brain hemorrhage. It's crazy. Mm. 
Hmm. Yeah. Um, but such was a, so people hated Myra Hindley so much, even 35 years after the murders, that 20 local undertakers refused to handle her cremation. So Understandable. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, four months later after she died, her ashes were scattered by her ex-partner, Patricia Cairns, less than 10 miles away from Saddleworth Moor. It's pretty galling, isn't it? At least yeah. Ian was like chucked in the ocean. But, yeah, <laughs> she was buried right by the moors, which is just uh, so it's pretty. That's pretty injury. evil. It is evil still to do that, and for her to do that as well. Because if that was me, I'd be like, "No, Myra, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen, Myra. I'm going to you know, keep your ashes and I'm going to sell them." <laughs> yeah, don't you think you'd want to? Pro I'm surprised David Smith didn't try to do that. Like, I mean, the guy already sold out to uh, the, whatever, the Weekly World News or whatever. But why, why wouldn't he be like, oh, I'll just keep those ashes? I mean, think how much money Patricia Cairns could have made. She could have made a lot of money. But I think um, David and Maureen broke up not long well, they, after well, they did. this whole, I, yeah. Yeah, apparently David Smith. The whole Smith, shenanigans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After all the, uh, yeah, all the shenanigans that happened. <laughs> David Smith ended up doing some time in prison for stabbing a guy because because of the abuse he had suffered since the trial. And then when he came out of prison, he moved in with a 15-year-old girl who became his second wife. Stand-up mm. guy. Uh, Ma <laughs> well, Maureen, he was a bad lad to begin with. Yeah. Um, Maureen, mm -hmm. which is interesting, made regular visits to see Hinley throughout her incarceration. Um, but yeah, she suffered a brain hemorrhage, and Hinley was allowed to visit her in the hospital, but arrived an hour after her death. So she missed out. What a shame for her. What a shame. You know, I was reading <laughs> that uh, Sheila and Patrick Kilbride, um, whose, whose son was murdered, uh, they John. attended Maureen's funeral thinking that Hindley might be there because Patrick said he was going to kill her. They were like, if wow. I see Myra Hindley there, I'm going to kill her. Like, they hated that woman wow. that much. Yeah, well, it's understandable that she killed their son. Well, do you think, though, if you had to think about this, like, who's more evil, Brady who masterminded the whole thing and manipulated this woman or Hindley in the end. I don't think, I don't think it was a case of he manipulated her. I think she's just as complicit. Ian Brady had clear psychological issues. There's no doubt about that. And that's why he spent, how long was he in Ashworth for? 20 years? Yeah. yeah. A long, long time. She was trying to get out. She had her ashes scattered on the moor where she killed she killed people. Well, 10 miles away. <laughs> Does that not say something about her? Actually, in the back of like Ian's book, the, we were just talking about that, weren't we? The Gates of, the gates gates of, of Yanis. Yanis, yeah. Yanis, which is serial killing and its analysis. He kind of gives Ian... this. So this is written 40 years after he committed the murders. And he kind of gives his opinion on himself and his life. It's only a short Narcissist. paragraph. It's, it's total narcissist. But this is what he says. He says, Naturally, if an individual believes he is superior to others, any hurt he inflicts upon a person he considers inferior concomitantly has lesser moral and psychic impact upon him. So what others may regard as monstrous acts, in fact, seem quite natural to him and of little account. Yeah, see, that this is exactly how he rationalizes it. It's almost like uh, he took Nietzsche's... Uh, uh, Nietzsche's Superman, you have the uh, theory of the Superman too seriously, yes. <laughs> which I think Hitler did too. Um, but yeah, I think uh, 
Brady, but I guess the difference between Brady and Hindley is Brady said he didn't want to be released. He just wanted death. Uh, but Hindley, you know, she was trying, she was actively trying to get parole. And I think that's what kind of made her a figure of like public scorn is because she never confessed to the involvement in uh, Reed and Bennett's murders for like 20 years until, you know, she could possibly be up for parole. I also think you can look at it from this way and say that Brady probably would have murdered someone. That he would have gone no, to yeah. that extreme. But it was Hindley who enticed the children in and let him, enabled him. Yeah, she enabled him to kill these children because as much as I find the reading of Mein Kampf sexy while drinking German wine, <laughs> if my partner turned to me and said, oh, let's kill abduct a child, let's do it, I'd be like, fuck you. That's yeah, not going to happen, psycho. mate. Well, psycho. I think that's you what it is. Blocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm swiping left on you now. Um, but yeah. That's the thing with, with Hindley. And I think this is why she's such a hated figure is that her, she just betrayed maternal stereotypes. I mean, you think Completely. that women, yeah, you think that women are supposed to be maternal and look after kids. Instead, she was leading these kids to like their rape and murder. I mean, she's an awful, awful person. Well, serial killer couples are very rare to begin with anyways. That's why they always stick out in people's yeah. minds. And it's even rarer for the woman to be implicated as a very willing partner. I think, what is it? Yeah, Rose West and Carol, Carol Bundy and Doug Clark. They're the only two I can think of straight away where yeah. the woman is just as much up for it. But Myra was different. She was different. Nah, she was evil. Um, the cases, the Moore's murders have been dramatized on television twice. Have you ever seen this? See No Evil, the Moore's murders? Or Longford? Oh, I don't know. Have you seen Longford? Uh, I guess that came out in no, 2006. No, it sounds like things that would happen on ITV, and I don't watch ITV. <laughs> I've never heard of either one of them. I'm assuming they're British. Although I kind of yes. want to check this out. The book, The Loathsome Couple, was written by Edward Gorey in 1977, which was inspired by the Moore's murders. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan That's of Edward not, Gorey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that what out. What else has he written? Edward Gorey? Yeah. You, you know his style. He's mostly, it's mostly illustrations, but it's written like oh. a, I mean, there's a bunch of books. I have like a, a lot of it was like just illustrations for, uh, he wrote uh, Tales from the Ghastly Crumb. Did you ever see that? Where no. like he goes through every letter of the alphabet, like A is for Adam, who is murdered by an all. B is for Basil, oh. who is assaulted by bears. And it's like every single, all the way through the alphabet. So he's brilliant. He also okay, had this I'm like really this creepy, book. Edward Gorey had this really creepy home in Chicago that you could go tour. But, uh, is it yeah. still there? Yeah, it's a museum to Edward Gorey. Nice. He's, he's brilliant, he's brilliant. But yeah, this book, I never read this one, The Loathsome Couple, so I'm going to have to look for it. And we're going to end the show a little later with uh, the Smith song, Suffer Little Children, uh, from their self-titled uh, debut album, which, you know, I... I knew that song. I knew it was about the Moore's murders, but I'd never really realized that he addressed all the victims of the murders in the song. He would have been a young man. Yeah, a no, very he would have been. Man. Well, he probably would have been of the age of the victims. He, he probably will have been. He'll have grown up in the shadow of because for years Manchester was a was affected by this. So even though he's not Manchester, he's Salford. I know he would have been affected. He might have even known them, like the families for yeah, I mean, knocking around, as we say. Yeah, he, I mean, so. he was local, so. 
Anyway, people, this is episode 759 here of Sick and Wrong. We have some news stories coming up next. We have some phone calls a little later in the show. Uh, but first, I want to play this uh, uh, clip about our Patreon page, a promo for our Patreon page. This, uh, this promo was actually sent to me from Chris, the poly guy. He like made mm-hmm. this whole thing, uh, this whole promo here. And I, I feel like he really captures my essence in this. He did a good job with that. So we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna play this real quick. I don't give a shit about saving lives. I couldn't care less if your mom dies, your kid dies. I don't give a shit about people dying. What I give a shit about is me not being able to go to a fucking bar. Do you want to hear more wholesome, quality content like this? Then subscribe to the Sick and Wrong Patreon, where for a mere $5 and up per month, you'll get exclusive news stories, phone calls, access to the Discord, and more. Patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, fellow rotundos. So the news stories this week both involve human dismemberment. But under completely different Lovely. circumstances. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like there's a lot of dismembering of human remains, but under different circumstances. So we I could do like intrigued. a compare, contrast. Yeah. So there's a trial underway right now for a man accused of killing his parents, dismembering their bodies, and leaving a diabolical stew of human remains. This is perfect for halloween this is what should be served on october the 31st a diabolical stew of human remains i think that's going to be my my book of uh free verse poetry diabolical (laughs) stew of human remains it's all going to be Dahmer themed yeah it's gonna be great it's the best metal album that you have not released yet (laughs) yeah i'm surprised like cannibal corpse hasn't done this one or morbid angel or something so uh, Joel Guy Jr. is accused of murdering his parents, Joel Guy Sr., 61, and Lisa Guy, 55. That's, could you imagine being named Mr. Guy? Hey, Mr. Guy. Hey, Mr. Guy. <laughs> hey, Mr. Guy. You know what? I call my brother Guy. And it's always been kind of a term of endearment. I don't really call my brother Jeffrey. I'm like, hey, Guy. He's calling Guy. Yeah, it's like, hey, Guy. guy. Well, because it's- when we were in high school... There's this gas station called the Rebel Gas Station, and they had like the most patronizing clerk that worked there. It's like as soon as you went in there, he's like, hey, guy, how's it going there, guy? Hey, hey, Tiger. You looking good, Tiger? You want a pack of smokes, guy? It was, it was always just guy, and me and my brother thought it was so funny that I think back in like, God, this must have been like early 90s, I just started calling him like, hey, guy, hey, guy. And it's a very Midwestern thing to do, and so I still to this day, I'm like, hey, guy. It's just like, or hey, you know, killer. just sometimes change it to hey, gay. <laughs> <laughs> you might like that a little bit too much. Anyway, um, Joel Guy Sr., 61, Lisa Guy, 55, the mom and dad here, uh, were murdered over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend in 2016. Allegedly because their son, or they had grown tired of paying their son's bills and they planned to cut him off financially. He? He's 28. Yes, cut him off. Why have you not <laughs> cut him off before? I'm yeah, wondering. He's cut them off. <laughs> yeah, he literally cuts them off. Well, I'm wondering but... if they became part of the Thanksgiving meal. Ooh. Yeah, I we'll give Thanksgiving for these limbs. Ooh. Oh, we'll have to find out. I mean, if there's a diabolical stew. Um, <laughs> attorney, his attorney here said the, uh, on the trial's opening day that the crime was so gruesome the deputies had a physical reaction to the odor in the home. Uh, They found his mother's severed head in a boiling pot on the stove, 
And they found many of the victims' limbs in 45-gallon containers filled with a corrosive substance designed to liquefy human remains. Wow. So he's prepared. Well, he was planning on eliminating the parents. He actually even, like, this is the best part. This is how much of an idiot this guy was. He detailed the plans in a notebook that included reminders of what he'd need to carry out the brutal task, like buy killing knives, buy (laughs) carving knives. (laughs) It's like... Buy some bay leaves. Yeah. He even Buy wrote, he's stock. like, so I could cut up the bodies in small pieces. He also even had a, a line item for sledgehammer to crush bones. Like, this is what the guy wrote in a notebook. It's like, dude, what are you thinking? See, like, he obviously had not heard about how Ian and Myra got caught by leaving their evidence in, a, in you know, in books, in a suitcase. Don't write it down. Don't, like, don't document do. it. Just you know? like, you know, spend, you know, that afternoon, if you're like, oh, yeah, I need to get a hacksaw today. I'll just go buy a hacksaw. You're, like, you're 28. Your brain should be at its peak of remembering You just stuff. don't need like, to plan it out. You don't need a paper trail. That's the problem. No. You know, so, speaking of which, actually, you have uh, back to Myra and Ian Brady. What do you think happened to the wank book? I don't know, but I would like to read it and look at it. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> Slowly. Quote, read it. Slowly, yeah. I would I, like I to read it slowly. There must be. I bet you it's in an evidence locker somewhere. It will be in evidence because they never get rid of that stuff. How much so do you think that would be worth? On the, the murderabilia market, oh, it'd be <laughs> worth an insane amount of money. So I would. I have some murderabilia that I've paid over the odds for. I would totally buy an Ian and Bree, Ian and Myra picture. Ian and Myra <laughs> wink book. The whole book, I bet you'd be worth thousands. Oh, it'd be worth thousands. Do you know when I win the lottery, that's what I'm gonna buy. Yeah, and go then I'll invite it. my friends around to come and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then read passages from Minecom. Sounds like a that sounds like a fun birthday. Um, You'd swipe right. <laughs> before the slayings took place, Guy Jr., who is a twenty eight year old unemployed college student living at his parents' home, uh, he had Thanksgiving dinner with his parents and his three sisters. And what the family members described as just an uneventful holiday. Uh, then the sisters returned home, but Guy stayed behind. So if you think about it, this was their last meal. You'd th- it was. And, what, and so what's weird, what's weird to me about the timing of this, you'd think the whole corpse dismemberment would be very difficult while their stomachs are filled with all this like turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you it kind of looks like the leftovers that people eat the day after. This guy is such a little wanker, isn't he? So he's unemployed. His parents have been paying his bills like uh, into his early 20s, late 20s. Late 20s. And now, and now because they're going to cut him off, he's suddenly like, oh, don't, I'm going to cut you up for cutting me off. What well, a little cunt. I think he's trying this to get some life cunt. insurance. Well, he's got three sisters he has to share it with. Should he not have killed them as well? <laughs> yeah, no, he missed out there. But, I, you know, I don't know. Thanksgiving, you guys don't have Thanksgiving in the UK, we which is not. good. <laughs> I don't know why. You, it, but it's like, I've always hated it. And I think I've said this on the show. I just fucking hate Thanksgiving. It's just, I think the it's, food is gross. I hate the, just the, you know... The, just the fact that you're eating all this food to eating to excess, the overconsumption. I just hate everything about Thanksgiving. Is it a month before Christmas as well? So does it not ruin Christmas because you're basically having Christmas before Christmas? No, I think it's like double. It's like Americans just have an excuse to eat even more. 
It's like now we get to gorge ourselves on Thanksgiving. Month later, gorge ourselves for Christmas dinner. Because I don't celebrate Christmas because I'm a miserable person. So I don't, <laughs> I've never understood, but people I know, like they look forward to Christmas all year long. Well, I can so understand Christmas, Christmas over Thanksgiving, dinner. but Christmas, at least you get yeah. gifts. Fucking Thanksgiving, you just have to hang out with your racist uncles. Like how fun and, is that? Well, it depends how drunk you're getting with them. <laughs> Tell me again, Uncle Gay, what you think of Trump. (laughs) I just feel like it's it's just an and with me it's like a you know, my parents being dead, I've always had to go and go to my girlfriend's family at the time and it's just even just a more unpleasant experience. But Mm -hmm. I've just I've hated Thanksgiving since I've been a child. Mainly because I'm a, I've been vegetarian for so many years. And every year we'd go to my Aunt Nancy's house. And every year she would purposely feed me or try to feed me turkey because she's like, you need to grow, David. You know, and it's like, and then she would say, she'd look at my mom. She's like, there's something wrong with David, Dolly. There's something there wrong. There is something wrong with David. <laughs> there's we, something wrong with David. I can give you a number of a psychiatrist. And it's just like, no, I don't want to eat your fucking turkey. Nancy. I agree. Yeah, I yeah, yeah I Nancy, your turkey is shit, and I don't want to eat it. <laughs> so authorities believe that uh, that uh, Guy Jr. here attacked his father on Saturday, November 28th, two days after Thanksgiving, in an upstairs exercise room of the home while his mother was out shopping. Uh, the father is only 61 years old. Um, you know, you're still pretty strong at that age. Um, he fought for his life. He had 42 sharp force injuries. The attack wow. had been so brutal that there are 12 marks left on his ribs, completely severing some of his ribs. Oh. And yeah, he suffered Wait. damage to his lungs, liver, and kidneys. So he was stabbing him. What type of knife did he use? Did you say before? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he, he itemized a list of carving knives and killing knives. I'm assuming it was one of the killing knives that he was using for it this. It must have been like <laughs> Gordon Ramsay professional knives. Like you're yeah. not you're not using kitchen knives that you've just brought bought. Out I'm, I'm thinking it's one of the big, like you know the big like carving knives that you use. Yeah, well, no, because you can't really get into the body with like one of those big cleavers. You need a knife. Well, he probably. Well, you know how like when you get a knife set, you get that one really big knife. It's Uh really sharp. I think it was was one of those. Mm -hmm. What is it? What I don't know what kind of knife that is. Steak knife, something. These are good knives though. If they're like breaking through bone, they got they got to be Ginsu knives. That's what I'm thinking. If I yeah, if I worked for this knife company, I would take this story and be like, we even cut through bone. Um, have you seen a pic of the killer? You should look up, look up a picture of this guy. His face looks deformed. And I don't know if it's because the police roughed him up or something. I mean, uh-huh. which is completely acceptable in this case. But it's like he's kind of a fat guy. He's got a thinning hair on. T- you know, actually, looking at this guy, I think he could probably use some hair plugs. Maybe that is why he, d- he killed his parents because his parents... Wouldn't pay for his hair plugs, so he's going to use the life insurance money. Yeah, get his hair plugs, and his life would just all be sorted. Yeah, I mean that that could. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much it costs, but it's not cheap. I'm assuming. No. Yeah, I'm assuming he probably was like, you know, he's a big fat fuck. He's useless. He's unemployed. He's got. His, he's losing some hair on top. He probably asked his dad for money. His dad was like, "No, fuck you. Go get a job." Next thing you know, yeah, he murders I, him. I do think the age cut off for your parents giving you money should be. 
<laughs> 16. <laughs> no, okay, 20. If you are still accepting money off your parents past the age of 20, fuck off. Get a job, <laughs> work for yourself. <clears throat> and learn life the hard way. If your parents are still funding your lifestyle past the age of 20, like grow up. This right, is a hard You're getting a little tough... preachy there, Kate. Does kind of sound like Henry Rollins or something, all right? Is it, yeah, is this all my bitterness? Yeah, I, I think this way is getting a little personal here. Um, I would cut, you know, if my parents weren't dead, I would cut them up and have a diabolical stew. <laughs> My my parents, like, yeah, the rabbi was kind of too cheap to ever really give me money. But if my parents were cool about it, it would just be like, here, I'll help you out every now and then. I think that's fine. But when you get to be yes. like, when you get to be 28, you're living in your parents' basement, you're unemployed, you dropped out of college. It's like at that point, it's like you're taking advantage of them. Yes, that's true. You know? Yes. So it sounds mm -hmm. like this guy is uh, kind of a dick. So his his father's hands had been severed at the wrists. His father's oh, arms were removed. Yes. Well, I think he was dismembering them. So his arms were removed at the shoulder blade and his legs were removed at the hip and uh, placed into these like drum barrels to be uh, um, liquefied. And so when his mother returned home later that afternoon, prosecutors believe that Guy Jr. ambushed her, just jumped on her, stabbed her in the back, sending groceries flying across the floor. He stabbed his mother 31 times. She suffered 21 severe injuries, including severed ribs, stab wounds to her buttocks. He had to Ooh. stab her in the ass. What a dick. Had to. Yeah. He had to. After she was killed, uh, the authorities believe that Guy Jr. cut her clothes off, dismembered her body, removed her legs below the knee, her arms at the shoulder, and removed her head through blunt force trauma. Probably used a sledgehammer for that. Um, Oof. The couple's limbs were later found in 45-gallon containers in what prosecutors described as a diabolical stew of human remains. I love it. A <laughs> diabolical stew. Yeah, yeah, I kind of want to say that like remains. Vincent Price. Yeah, um, so prosecutors believe that during these brutal attacks, uh, poor guy Jr. injured his hands. I mean, it hurts when you stab a human body. That's gotta, it's gotta be tough on the wrist. Get you know, it does tunnel. hurt your hands when you take handouts off your parents as well. <laughs> there you go with your morality coming out here. Judgment. Hey, my bitterness, my bitterness. Um, he eventually decided to leave his parents' home. Oh, I guess he didn't live with them. He actually lived in his own home in Baton Rouge. Um, he left his home to go get treated for the injuries. But he left the dismembered bodies of the couple in the house, and uh, they, you know, they were discovered after the the wife, you know, failed to show up for work, and her bosses called the sheriff to go conduct a welfare check. And so when they went in the home, they found blood everywhere. They could smell the stench of death mixed with peroxide, bleach, and acid. Um, and yeah, I mean, think this lazy fuck didn't even finish the job. Yes. Like that's this the problem with millennials. About. Well, yes. that's the problem. With, is... I totally agree with his parents. Cut this fucker off. Right. Excuse me, D. I am a millennial. He is also a millennial. But I will go to if I'm going to kill my parents, I am making sure that I will not sleep until their bodies are disposed of. Right. Well, I mean, at least finish the job. Don't just leave. Yeah. Oh, lazy fuck, you know, this guy. At least they like, clear up the blood and move all the vats and barrels and expect that, you know, I would ring in the work. Ring into my mother's work and be like, she, she's got the flu. She's not coming in. She's got the COVID. Easy enough. That's all you got to say. 
Yes, it is a good excuse. Yeah, but no, but this, this guy, guy is such a lazy fucking entitled cunt that he can't I even. I blame the yeah. parents and I blame him. They raised What a lazy this piece lazy of shit asshole. this guy is. Yeah. Yeah, you said, how fat was he on a scale of one to fat? <laughs> I would say he's fat. Fat, balding. You could tell he probably, uh, you know, he probably plays a lot of Call of Duty. I was about to say, do you think he is a virgin? I don't know. At age 28, possibly. Uh, family <laughs> members testified that before his death, Joel Guy Sr. had been planning to retire and he intended to cut off his prodigal son, um, that he and his wife had been financially supporting for years. So they were planning on selling their home. They were going to move to Tennessee. And investigators believe that the decision to financially cut off their son may have prompted the killing. You know, what a shame for them. Yeah, in one and section. Sisters. And yeah. their sisters, too. In one section of the notebook, he, uh, he had written assets and detailed how he planned to hide his father's body and inherit his mother's $500,000 life insurance policy. Oh, my God. Yeah, what a moron. And he wrote all what mine with like some hearts and happy faces. Mine Kampf. <laughs> all mine Kampf. Yeah. All mine Kampf. He's pled guilty to the murder, or he's pled not guilty to the murder charges against him and is not even offering a mental health defense. I think he's just, just doing, he's just going with a fat, lazy piece of shit defense. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> all right. The next dismemberment story here. Here's, here's, Story number two, dealing with human dismemberment. But this is a completely different circumstance. Okay. A New Hampshire man allegedly killed his wife's lover after learning of an affair, and then he ordered her to behead the victim. So it's kind of like a Wait, bit of retribution. So, so a husband and a wife, the wife had an affair yeah. with a man, and he learned about it, so he ordered his wife... To behead to the victim, yeah. Bad to behead man. her lover. Her lover, yeah. Harsh. What? This is like Shakespearean. I think this is just like regular life in Saudi Arabia, you know? It's like... <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's in New, New Hampshire's near, like... Uh, like near New, York? New York, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the East Coast. Th this stuff doesn't typically happen in New Hampshire, and I also don't think this guy is actually Arabic either. <laughs> I just think he's insane. <laughs> um, so a New Hampshire man here allegedly just found out that his wife was having an affair uh, with a co-worker. He's accused of killing her lover before forcing her to behead him, which- Oh, I see, I see it more. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but so which, he killed him. And, and then forced her to behead him. Oh my God, right. Which seems a bit harsh to me, because why not just go and spray paint cheater on the hood of her white <laughs> Honda Civic? You know, that's typically how it's done, you know? <laughs> I don't know if you really need to go kill the guy and then force her to behead him. That just seems like overkill to me. Um, yeah, do it slower. <laughs> so on Friday, Armando Barron here, age 30, was arrested and charged in connection with the death of Jonathan Amaro, who's 25, whose body was found in New Hampshire woods. Uh, Barron is charged with capital murder for allegedly knowingly causing the death of Jonathan Amaro by shooting him while engaged in the commission of a kidnapping. He's also charged with domestic violence, strangling, and threatening to use a deadly weapon for the purpose of placing his wife, Brittany, in fear of imminent bodily harm. I guess he stuck a gun in her mouth and was like, mm -hmm. behead the guy. Which can be very convincing. These uh, people are so young as well. 25, 30. It's like, so young. 
Yeah, I to mean, be, to be, to what, be like embroiled, psychotically in jealous. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of these guys are pretty violent at this age. You know, I've watched the UFC before. Isn't this kind of like <laughs> UFC age? You always hear about one of those UFC guys freaking out and like beating up a porn star. Yeah, that that's different to beheading someone. Beheading well, feels more is. like, you know, we have been together for 50 years and you, you have suffered me an indifference, woman. This is like... <laughs> I just feel like it's like, you know, ultimate revenge. I mean, the fact that this, like, retribution, he's like, you've wronged me, you know, by sucking this other man's penis. <laughs> you know, now you will behead this man. It's just like... Dude, <laughs> take it easy, man. Um, the Grizzly slaying took place after Armando went through Britney's phone on the night of September 19th and discovered that she was in a relationship with Amaro, who she worked with at a medical supply company. And so this, this made me think, like, have you ever been in a relationship with a guy who demanded that he check your phone? Like, could you imagine no. that? Never. I think if someone is wanting to check your phone, I think if someone looks for your phone while you're with them, the relationship is doomed. It's over. Why? Why do it? Your phone is well, like you your don't trust space. the you don't trust the person. You know, I've, it's not only men that do this. I've I've heard of women like uh, mm -hmm. one of my friends. His girlfriend was just like every Wednesday they do a phone swap, and like they Whoa. go through. Yeah, they like go through use each other's phone for a night. Just to make okay. to alleviate any suspicion and just like a phone swap. And it was just something that I forget. It was a coworker of mine. And I remember being like, dude, that's whacked. Like, why would you do that? He's like, because it's, it's, it's a way that we can reaffirm our trust by doing a Wednesday night phone swap. If your trust has to be reaffirmed, then your relationship is doomed. Yeah. It's I'd... already over. <laughs> like, there's no coming back from that. That's crazy. You should well, not be checking your other person's phone for anything. And if you have that lack of trust already, the problem is within you. It's not within them. Well, she also forced him to remove his testicles. So I was like, all right, maybe that's understandable. Oh, both of them are all five. <laughs> five? <laughs> I've never asked a boyfriend to take all five of his testicles off, but I've said, take two of them off. And we've got a relationship here. I just find that the <laughs> fact that you check each other's phone to be a bit, you know, I think it's... There's a problem with your relationship when it gets to that point. Yes, totally. There's problems with both of you if both of you are doing that. Although I think I think wrong. Armando was just an abuser. And I think he was just mm -hmm. abusing his wife. And uh, obviously he did that, looked through her phone, found out about the affair. He, he then became enraged. He beat her, stuck a gun in her mouth, and strangled her on their bed, causing her to pass out. Later that night, he used his wife's phone to text Amaro and lure him to uh, the, this park that was kind of like outside of town. Which to the to, woods. Yeah, which to yes. me makes him seem like such a vindictive coward, this guy. Because this, this is something that I've always had a problem with deer hunters. So I remember uh, a roommate of mine a long time ago, his, he had a cabin up north of Michigan, and they would go deer hunting during deer hunting season. And I remember going up there, not during hunting season, but I went there in the summer, and I was like, so where do you hunt the deer? And so what they do is they go and they sit up and it's, if you ever heard this term a blind, do you know what a blind is? Is that like a hide? They sit in the hides or? So, sort of. It's like up in the tree. It's like kind of like a little tree house. 
at these yes. uh, rednecks sit in and they drink a ton of beer. And what they do is they spray like a doze. Piss. No, well, yeah, yeah, it's like a doze estrus scent or whatever, dough and heat. They spray the scent all over. So these bucks are all like walking around and they're like, oh shit. I smell a fucking dough and heat. I'm going to go get my dick yeah. wet. And then they I go walk in. some deer pussy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, the, I, I don't know if all the bucks sound like hillbillies, but I yes, mean, I'm sure, do. well, I'm sure they're just like, you know, I'm going to go get my dick wet. This is going to be awesome. And you walk into this like clearing and next thing you know, some redneck shoots you in the head with a gun. Like, how is that yeah, fair? How it. is that sporty? It's not sporting. It's no. It's, it's like shite. you know. It's not, and and I feel like that's the same way with this guy. This guy basically just took his wife's urine, put it on a you know, <laughs> put it on the phone, and texted him. And this Amaro is like, sweet, I'm gonna go get my dick wet. And he goes and meets at the park. And who does he meet? He meets Armando, who beat the shit out of him. Can I just say, Armando is very much an abuser's name. If you're gonna get if you're going to have a boyfriend called Armando, you're going to get beaten up by Armando. Also, I feel like Armando is a very set, like he's a very selfish lover. Armando is not going to do stuff just for you. He's going to do it for Armando. Well, I, I think that's, like, yeah, I definitely think that's apparent. Armando <laughs> seems like a fucking prick. I don't know why she would date I mean, him. I'm, no, I, I'm blanketing all Armandos. I want Armandos to come at me and find me and be like, no, I am not a selfish lover. I'm a good we'll Armando. It. Prove it on Mondo. <laughs> so That's at the park, you know, Amaro shows up, you know, unbeknownst to him, thinking he's going to, you know, get a hand job. And Armando comes <laughs> out, beats him, and then he demands that his wife shoot him. This is what Brittany said. And Brittany said she would not place her finger on the trigger. She just wouldn't do it. And then uh, Armando just took the gun and shot Amaro three times in his car. And then this after. This is so Shakespearean. It it's is like, kind, so kind of. I don't it's recall completely. Which, what, which one? Like Henry VIII or something? Or Macbeth? It's called Am <laughs> Amondo versus Amir. What's the other guy's name? Amaro. Amir. Yeah. Amondo versus Amro. Armando. <laughs> That's what it's called. Five. Versus... <laughs> Starring Charles Bronson. <laughs> I, I could see Armando looking like Bronson for sure. After mm -hmm. driving in separate vehicles to a campsite, Armando told Brittany that once the sun came up the next morning, he would forgive her. Oh, so, this is like, <laughs> what? That is so poetic. I just, I just think this is, you know, it's like this mighty rich of you, Armando. It's like, yes. we're just, I'm going to be angry for the next three hours, but as soon as the sun comes up, I'll forgive you, and our relationship will be completely back to normal next week this, after this unpleasant <laughs> occurrence is out of the way. Like, is that what he's thinking? Never. Yeah, <laughs> it is. My that, that's the thought process. It's like, you know, after we get all this craziness out of the way, we'll be back to normal. Having all dinner at the Olive Garden. Mend like Ian Brady, Armando, and the, uh, the Diabolical Stew guy. Do you know what they all have in common? Is that they all think that they're the best. Well, <laughs> you mean we like the narcissist? Narcissists, they just think they're the best when we all know that they're just not. They, know, none I mean, of those three eat the pussy from behind, especially not Armando. <laughs> Armando does not eat the pussy from behind. So are you saying you like that. that's the barometer of a good man? Mm-hmm. Is whether or not they eat the pussy Completely. from behind. Yes, and not just to be like, oh, they're like, yeah, they're doing it because they're like, the woman likes this. Armando will not eat a pussy. 
F I would I would say that Armando would not eat your pussy from behind because he's a self-serving dick, abusive husband. I would say Guy Jr. probably wouldn't eat the pussy from behind because he's balding and probably is a virgin and <laughs> has never had pussy. Yes. However, Ian Brady, I would say that he might have eaten the pussy from behind. Not to not to please her, not to please Myra, but that guy was a fucking freak. Yeah, I think he did it to like please himself, but not to be like, oh yeah, this is this is getting her in the mood. Oh so no, it's I don't. Me yeah, in the mood. I don't think he cared so about Myra's sexual desires. You eat the pussy from behind so that you both get in the mood. You don't eat the pussy from behind just so that you can be like, oh yeah, this is dirty. It's like no, you've got to do it for both of you so both of you enjoy it. Does Mitt Romney Armando. eat the pussy from behind? <laughs> Mitt Romney. <laughs> I bet he does. Should I? I'm going to email him afterwards and be like, hey, Mitt, what are you up to? Do you, do you eat the, the pussy, pussy from behind? From behind? Uh, you should do that and see what the response is. Actually, I'd like to see that. So um, Armando, after uh, you know, they, they, they drive the guy over, like she drives the vehicle with the dead guy to this campsite. He then ordered Brittany to decapitate Ar- Amaro so that he couldn't be identified by uh, dental records. And she did it. She went through, and they don't say what she used. They don't say what instrument she used, but she went. She complied and decapitated her lover. If you were in this situation, if there was a guy with, like, a gun to your head saying, like, cut off your girlfriend's head, she's already dead, would you just do it? <sighs> at that point, God, at that, I mean, at that point, she's already dead, and you're probably, mm. I mean, this guy's murdered someone, probably would murder you. Yeah, I, don't know. I would do it. I wonder I if it'd be under duress. Yeah, my yeah, you're under duress, obviously. But I wonder if it'd also be like a fight or flight kind of thing at that point. Yes, totally. You know, um, so when Armando learned that authorities were looking for him and his wife, he ended up he left. He left the campsite. He returned to the couple's home and he ordered her to bury her lover's body. This guy is such a fucking dick. Armando is the biggest cunt. <laughs> is what such... is she doing with him? <laughs> I don't understand it. He is such a cock-blocking prick that he like. Not only does he does he shoot her her, you know, his wife's lover, makes her behead Who eats, him. Right? Do you know what? Her wife's lover. He totally ate the pussy from behind, and that's why she was with him. You know, I w- I would say that he probably did, and that's kind of what mm-hmm. is lacking in this relationship. <laughs> you know, this guy is such a fucking cock blocking dick. He leaves her, leaves her, you know, to deal with burying the body. You know, it's like you got to go bury your ex lover's body. It was a fucking prick. I hope he gets punked out in prison by a white supremacist named Duke. Yeah, that'd be great. yeah, that's what I hope. <laughs> I'm um, seeing it in my head right now. I might wank to that later. <laughs> the man's head was found in a separate location. Uh, Brittany was arrested after wildlife conservation officers found her and were like, you're not allowed to camp in this, you know, in this area. And she just said, I'm in big trouble. And they, oh, were, they were like, why? And so then they found Amro's abandoned Subaru covered in blood. And then they found his headless body wrapped up in a, you know, a nearby brook. And so at this point, they arrested her, found the husband, and both have pled not guilty to the charges that they face. But you can tell her attorney has said that she acted under duress. So I bet you he's trying to get mitigating charges there. Mm-hmm. But, I feel like Britney did act under duress. I'm on Britney's side, Team Britney. Well, I don't really know what else she could. I don't. I mean, sure, she beheaded the guy. I guess she had 
abuse a corpse, but she didn't yeah, murder the guy. Yeah, you can get done for that. Yeah, but I don't no. think she would, though, because, I mean, her husband had a gun to her head and was ordering her to do it. I bet you she'll get off, although the trauma that she's going to have to suffer. I wouldn't even want to be her. Like, I wouldn't even want to be the next boyfriend, because after I found out about this, I'm like, oh, your ex did what? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pass yeah. on this. Swipe left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, would just, I would probably just ghost her as soon as I found out, even if we'd been dating Blocked. for two years, just yeah. ghosting. <laughs> You're a very evil Jewish man. <laughs> Not years. the first time I heard that. Um, <laughs> send in your stories, sickroundpodcastgmail.com. We have some phone calls coming up next. But first, here's a word from Adam and Eve. What do you do when you're at a family reunion or Thanksgiving? You got a raging boner that won't go away, and you're considering. Fucking your grandmother. You go to Adam and Eve, of course. You buy a jerk off sleeve, you know, build a pocket pussy, something of that nature. So you can go in the bathroom and just take care of that raging boner before you have to bend over your grandma at the table and just fuck her. So go to adamandeve.com and type in the D-I-D-D-L-E That's what Grandpa used to do to your dad. Talk to you later. Bye. So we got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Um, I've been, you know, we've been getting some really good calls lately. And people remember, you can actually email us MP3s as well. But I want some like I don't know. I want I want some like personal stories here that we can get into. You want spicy stories. Spicy. I want something saucy. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. So call us two two three five two two four zero three two. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This story is spicy. This next one that's coming Ooh. up. Yeah. Exciting. All right. This is from uh, a guy named Willowberg. Hey guys, it's Willowberg. I was listening to the uh, last Patreon. You and Schlitzie were talking about. Uh, fighting your dad so it reminded me of a story when i was a young lad and i fought my dad so a little backstory um it wasn't actually <laughs> do you ever fight your dad like physically fight your dad i have actually <laughs> <laughs> wait how old were you is this like yesterday or um, was... n- well no because he's dead oh okay <laughs> so right. it'd be easier to fight him, now i'd be well yeah because he's a skeleton but <laughs> uh he was an alcoholic so i had to have fight him on a few times like physically uh, no- like you punched him in the face yeah i've shoved my dad like nobody has to be sad or like boohooing over it he was he was a fun drunk but he would he would just get rambunctious so was he a violent drunk or was he just like i don't understand no, how he- would you fight your daughter um well because i would stand up to him he used to like say stuff and my my brothers would like bow down to him but i'd be like this isn't right would he give you the leather (laughs) would he leather me would he leather you Um, he would leather me well he's (laughs) the one that's how i ended up getting kicked out my house was because we had a massive fight and he he went to punch me but i punched like close fist punch you yeah, but How old like because he's a I am fifteen. Fifteen no, sixteen. I was like fifteen just turned sixteen. It was like the May. 
and my birthday is in February. So I just turned 16 and it was like, yeah, a big, a big thing. What were you fighting about? Because my mum, they had a disastrous marriage and this is getting too personal. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is, this is like a whole story. (laughs) We might have to do a whole episode about Kate fighting her dad. Maybe next time you guess that's the show. Yes. Anyways, he went to go fight me. He missed. He hit my bedroom door, which cracked. So that was the force of his punch. Well, that was a hard punch. That would have knocked you out. A hard punch. Yeah. But because he missed, I just went for him. And we had like a mini set of stairs. There was like five set of stairs. And I just like, I like, I went into him as opposed to like hitting him. Did you like like, haymaker or did you like push? Oh, you push. You did like a shove. No, but like I, I like cuddled, cuddled, pushed him down these stairs, and he just went, and he ended up like, like going boom, 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 and his back was like against the wall, and his head was down on his chest, and then like, I just went for him. <laughs> Wait, down. so after he fell down, you like got on him and just to finish it, like ground and pound. Yeah, I just I ground and pound my dad, <laughs> and then. A couple of hours later is when I got kicked out of the house. But he oh, he totally didn't come around until later. It's like, that was a good punch. You no, know, here, he I'm like, a shot of Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't like that. No, he didn't. He came around and he went and, like, nursed his wounds. And then after that, like, um, shit went down. <laughs> One time the rabbi just, like, took a Torah and smashed it over my back like a chair, like a pro wrestler <laughs> takes a chair. Yeah, because you weren't learning hard enough. I'm joking. The rabbi, me and the rabbi <laughs> never came to blows. We did not have that kind of relationship ever. And we never, mm-hmm. we never got to that. But, but this guy here apparently fought with his dad. Mm-hmm. Dad, it was my stepdad. Stepdad. Uh, my mom oh, stepdad. left well, him for, uh, for her. Yeah, that doesn't even count. It's your fucking stepdad. You can beat the it's shit like out of your stepdad. It's fucking uncle. And yeah. plus, like, it's better than being fucked by your stepdad, which I have seen on Pornhub. Oh, I, was, I was about to ask you. I was like, did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting yeah. down to, to Salem. And uh, that's a long haul because we're up in uh, Alberta. Um, so she left me behind took her other son so that was nice but so i had to live with uh wow so his mother <laughs> took her other son but left him son. behind yeah took the better one <laughs> yeah he must be ginger this guy <laughs> her ex-husband my uh my stepdad because i had nowhere else to go so i'm living with him and my half sister who is his biological daughter so I- this is a weird situation this so, is the <laughs> setup is... to a pawn hub i'm sorry it's coming up well, right no so it sounds like it yeah Half sister and his stepsister. It is the, the premise is of many a video. Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. premise of many a video on Pornhub. But I'm it's weird though. Are you into mm-hmm. the? Are you into the incest thing? Is that your thing? Of course, I'm not. Right? Do you know what annoys me about Pornhub is like I'll go on it several times a week, whatever. But it, I've never once clicked on a step sibling, step mom, whatever video. And yeah, it re- it recommends it to me. It's like, why are you recommending me this? Maybe because it knows very, you better than you know yourself. I have a very niche <laughs> genre of porn that I like. It's so niche. Why Why would you ever recommend African this African-American dwarves? <laughs> oh, is that what you like? That's what no, you I'm just like. saying, that sounds pretty niche, so I'm not surprised. No, but it's like 1970s, a particular year in the 1970s. We'll go into this on Patreon at some time. All right, we'll get into uh, 
Kate's porn proclivities on Patreon. <laughs> you got to tune to Patreon for that. My likes and hatreds. It's a but, long the, but what's weird about this call is that his biological mother is like, I'm going to take my other son. You stay with your stepdad, who I'm divorcing because he sucks, but bye. And just peace out. That's, that's kind of fucked though. up. I think it's kind of I fucked up. Think, I don't think that's weird because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to spend time with this child. I'm going to spend time with that child. We'll do different things at different times. Yeah, but she birthed that, him. That happens. She birthed him. Like She's basically yeah, just being like, I don't know. I find that weird. If I was like, that's my birth child. That's my responsibility. It's not my ex, you know, stepdad who's not even like the stepdad. I would have been like, fuck you. It's not my kid. That's true, but if they were together for a number of years and they go on, yeah, I don't know. It's a whole big thing. It is a, a premise of many a video, though, on Pornhub. Mm-hmm. I'm always the odd one out, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so one night I'm playing uh, Final Fantasy Legend 2 on the Game Boy, and my sister wouldn't leave me that's alone. That's why she, she left him alone. Like, no, you, you... <laughs> that must be, wait, Final Fantasy 2 Game Boy. Game what year Boy. is that? Is that like 1996? Yeah. I'd be like, I'm leaving my fucking nerd son alone. What a loser. <laughs> yeah, but that's got to be what, my like... virgin son. Is that 1996, yeah. you think? He's probably a teenager. On the Game Boy. He's probably the same age as me. I wonder if he's a Pisces as well, because he says always the odd man out. <laughs> yeah, we do need to know your astrological sign there, Willowberg, or we can't proceed on with the show. <laughs> Get it, you know? You know, you're, you're, you're two years younger than me. You don't know anything about video games. Plus, you're a girl, so fuck off. And so she tried to take my Game Boy uh, and grabbed it. So I twisted her arm to stop it, and so she goes to my... Did you have any siblings, Kate? Did you grow up with siblings? Yes, I've got an older brother and a younger brother who I no longer speak to. <laughs> you don't speak to either one of them? You don't speak to either one of them. God, there's my like... My younger brother is only you're... 15. <laughs> Your family, like, familial relationship <laughs> is this, like, dark <laughs> vortex. We're going to have to get into it one of these days, but Jesus yes. Christ. You fight your dad. You don't speak to your siblings. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Yes, Is this typical in the north, northern England? <laughs> no, I'm no, atypical. Okay. So mm-hmm. wait, so did you guys, when you were growing up, though, did you have like a Nintendo or a Genesis or yeah. something? Did you have we to share all, it? We had Mega Drives. No, we all had like our own because my my dad made some money. So, oh wait, so you had your the... own, and your do you have your own TV in your room? I actually never did, but my brothers did, because I was always the one left out. <laughs> I never had my own telly. Like but Willowberg. we are on the, on like Willowberg, my Canadian friend. We um on the day that that Game Boy came out, though, we all got our own Game Boys each, and they were like two hundred quid back in nineties money. Had one of those. That's probably like a million pounds nowadays. You never had a Game Boy. I never Wait, had a Game Boy. You're, you're in your 20s in the 90s, so what do you want a Game Boy for? You were having sex. Yeah. Right? I, I, well, I think the last... I was also never a big video game guy. But it, like, when I was growing up, I take that back. I, when I was growing up, I was. like We had a NES. We had a Super yeah, we Nintendo. Had we had a Sega mm-hmm. Genesis. But it was always something you had to share. And like me and yes. my brother would fight over it, and it was always kind of like... He would have it something, but then my brother kind of like stopped hanging out at the house and then I'd get to play it all the time. But my sister never even gave a shit about video games. So it wasn't even a real issue there. Oh no, I loved it. I remember I had to have me and my younger brother both got PlayStation ones on the day they came out and we were just all about that life, all about GTA. <laughs> and I used oh, to come in. Yeah. 
Yeah, Grand Theft Auto, that was our Such childhood. A good game. I've still got both my um, Mega Drives. I've got Mega Drive 1 and 2. We had Master System. I've still got them. What's a Mega <laughs> like, Drive? What's a Mega Drive? A Mega Drive? What would that be? Maybe it's a different name in America, but a Mega Drive. Is that like a. Does that have to do with the PlayStation? Sega. Oh, maybe no, that's a Sega, Sega or Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. Like the Dreamcast? No, a Dreamcast is a different thing, isn't it? No, a Sega Dreamcast was one. Maybe it has a different branding in the U.S. then. Maybe, yeah, but I've got my Mega Drive. It's what you could play um, Streets of Rage on. You ever play Streets of Rage? Yeah, that was the Dreamcast. I had one of those too. Sega oh, Dreamcast. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's called Streets Mega Drive. Yeah, Mega Drive over here, which is very... I still say Mega. It's very northern to say Mega. It's like, oh, it was Mega good. Dad says, oh, he hurt me. And he's a miserable drunk whose wife left him with with a bastard, so he's always pissed off. So yeah, you are a bastard. He comes in the room and he's on tirade, and he's like, "What the fuck? You hurt my camera!" So he fucking starts starts feeding it to me, starts punching me. So you know, I start punching him back because I'm not I'm not understanding. Yeah. What the you know, age difference is? Physically abused before, but I'm a, I was 13 at this point, so I, I knew everything, 13. and I was the smartest person in the world. And so I'm like, well, of course I can fight this 36 year old man. So 13 and 36. Um, so of course he's he's bigger <laughs> than me, stronger older. than me, and more older than that. Wait, but you were what? 16, 15? How old was he? Like in his 40s? He was, uh, yeah, coming up to 50. My parents yeah. quite old when they had us. But it doesn't matter because no, I mean it's a thirteen-year-old to thirty-six, a sixteen-year-old to a fifty-year-old. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not fair. A, a thirty-six-year-old is in better. Yeah, he's gonna. Well, be you're just stronger. Yeah, shape. you're gonna beat the shit yeah. out of a thirteen-year-old. That's the prime of your life. When so you're he's beating the shit out of me, and there's not a whole lot I can do about it. So he uh, grabs me by the neck and throws me out of the house. He tells me I can't live there anymore. You know, I'm not welcome there anymore. So I'm like, well, my life's over. I got nowhere to go. I might as well, you know, do as much damage as I can here. So. I'm sprawled on the ground on my hands and knees, and I see that there's a loose paving brick. So I pick up the brick, and I toss it. And I Ooh. thank Christ Ooh. every day that I didn't actually get him square in the head, because he would have been dead, and <laughs> then I would have been in juvie. And I'm too pretty to be in juvie, so uh, it grazes the top of his head, and he starts bleeding immediately. Oh, man. He comes back down, and he's holding his head, and he's looking at it, and he's showing me, and he's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like... I'm laughing, and I'm like, that's blood. And he says, that's bullshit. And he starts punching me some more. So he holds me down, calls the cops, and the RCMP comes into Canada. And he's RCMP. lecturing the, the cop is lecturing me. It's like, oh, you know, you can't behave this way because if you're an adult and you do this, they're going to liquidate your ad set to pay off your victims, and the prisoners will pull down your pants and do things you don't like in jail. And I'm like, Jesus right, Christ, <laughs> the Canadian police are harsh. God. Like they're scary, gonna They're going to scare you straight. You like. <laughs> yeah, man. You won't like it. <laughs> Pull your pants down. Anyway, step that chooses not to pass press charges. We go to bed. And the funny thing is, after that, we had a great relationship. We went to the kids' concert <laughs> that summer. Never had a fight again. So, you know, it actually turned out okay. Anyways, keep it sick, keep it wrong. Wow. So I guess the takeaway is you have to hurt your dad for him to love you. So maybe, maybe that's the problem. You didn't hurt your father enough. Maybe I didn't. Maybe, like, if he wasn't, maybe because he's dead now, I should go and dig him up and just, like, just mutilate his corpse. <laughs> and if anyone says, what are you doing? I'll be like, I'm hurting him more. <laughs> A diabolical stew of uh, Kate's father's. A diabolical is. stew. I got told by this Canadian guy, it'll be, why am I going Australian? <laughs> I don't even know where he you're going. With that. I think if I you would have really cleaned his clock, he might have respected you. <laughs> 
cleaned his clock? Is that what you said, D? Cleaned his clock. I said clock, not the other word. It's a clock. All right, the right. next call here, I think being a northern bird, this is something Ooh. you have a lot of experience with. Pete <laughs> Harrison or whomever the uh, guest host of, of the week is. Um, <laughs> I'm calling about me. regular girl. She called. She was giving this guy a blowjob, and and uh, he had some cheese going on down there. Well, <laughs> so what? that's you know, so some girl called in a couple weeks ago and saying that she was giving a guy a blowjob, and you know he is she's British, and uh, she pulled oh, back yes, his yeah. foreskin, and there was all this smegma going on. So is that something <laughs> that you look forward to, or is that something that you're just like? you know, you dread having to experience. You know what we do with that? We just scrape off the cheese and we put it in a Tupperware box and we save it for Boxing Day. <laughs> you save it for Boxing Day? Is that what the birds do? <laughs> That's what Boxing Day is all about in Britain. It's about eating all the collected smegma that you've got in that year. No, never once have I ever you've never had a man You've never had smegma. a guy with smegma in his foreskin. Let me tell you what, I've had more cocks than hot dinners. <laughs> I've never once had smegma. It never once has it been an issue for me. So if you're getting with a man who has smegma, firstly, just stop what you're doing and stop it and just get him out of your house. Just, there's no need for it. Just make him no bathe. Need. Yeah. Make no, I wouldn't even be like, go upstairs and shower. I would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just, I've got to go feed my cat right now. Do any this of your over. northern bird friends, do you guys ever, <laughs> like, when you guys go out to the pub and have some drinks, do you guys be like, oh, my God, the smegma in his torture. It was so terrible. <laughs> There's so much torture cheese in there. I was disgusted. Like, does that, does that ever happen? Is that like a regular conversation at the pub? Firstly, you would fit right in with me and all my friends. <laughs> uh, your dick chat is on point as the kids say. <laughs> I imagine that, but I, I bet you it is a problem for some. You know, I'm sure we have... Uh... If it's a pro right, if it's a problem, if you are enticing men in who have smegma, then you yourself do not bathe because <laughs> you have to stink to have smegma. No, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It's a thing that builds up. Like, you shower once, it goes away. You wank once, it goes away. Smegma builds up over time. So if someone has smegma, they are not tending to their penis. You know, like, uh, for someone who's never experienced smegma, you know a lot about smegma. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just saying. That's all I'm saying, all right? Let's go yeah, on. Yeah, because it's a, it's a fear. It's a fear. <laughs> I wanted to let you guys know that uh, not only men get to smegma because one time i was banging this gal she hadn't been banged in about five years and i was down there and she definitely had smegma going on yeah because anyway, it happens just thought you guys would like to know that later wait 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 wait. your girls smegma have smegma happens. as well yes yeah both but well, i don't get it is it from like not smegma. bathing is that where it comes from yeah, it's from not bathing, not masturbating, not looking after your genitalia. You get smegma. It happens to both both sexes. I don't think I've ever I mean I've been, I've been down 
on a couple women who didn't smell great down there. I, I can say uh-huh. that. I've been down there and I've been like, okay, this isn't pleasant. I'm going to go back up. But I don't think I've ever gone <laughs> down there and been like, wow, there's a bunch of cheese whiz coming out of her vagina. I would have yeah, <laughs> been horrified. But it does happen. I think, um, especially as a female, because men can get yeast infections as well, and that builds up the smegma, but it's not as well known as when women get yeast infections. But you can have a yeast infection, or is it HBV and BV, and you not even know about it. Yeah, Yeah, you can have BV and not even know about it because you won't present symptoms and it won't smell. Yeah, but is there like a cottage cheese-like discharge? Yes. <laughs> I say it like a, I would like everyone to know who is listening that this has never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I still maintain you have a lot of experience with smegma for someone who doesn't know anything about it. But that being said, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like a frightening situation for all parties. So take a bath like know, and wink. Yeah, I would like to know more about it. Like, did you stick it out? Was he like, well? She's right. Oh, she's from the girl or from the five, guy? Yeah. He, she's not had sex in five years. So would you not just be like, I'm going to do this for her? Okay. She's not had sex in five years. If someone has not had sex in five years, I'd be like, I am going to show them the royal show. Well, quick, hypo- quick, quick hypothetical. Let's say you went down on a guy and there's a bunch of smegma. Would you be like, ugh, fucking gross? Or would you just be like, I'm just going to kind of covertly, like furtively wipe it off and just kind of keep going? No, I would be like, it's fucking gross. <laughs> Stop so this now. That's what makes me wonder if this guy went down there and was like, Jesus fucking Christ, you got to deal with this. <laughs> this needs to be attended to immediately. Get out of my house. This is why you've not had sex in five years, honey. Because no fucking wonder. Yeah. You diseased fucking bacterial vaginosis, bitch. Like, I don't know what happened there, but that's gross. I think people need to shower and masturbate regularly. All right, last call we have here is Warwick Davis, who I imagine, do you think Warwick Davis is circumcised? For a dwarf, well, they've already got a little dick. They don't need to have a little bit cropped. I've I've actually heard dwarves can be as hung as like a a, a regular-sized male. Well, Gary Coleman, if you Google (laughs) Well, you've seen Gary Coleman's cock? Well, I have Googled it. Wait, yes. is this wait, is this part of your niche of Pornhub videos? Because that's very specific. It's very specific. Like Gary Coleman porn videos. I said Google, not Pornhub. <laughs> what you talk about, Kate? D. <laughs> All right. Well, here's Warwick Davis. Um, hopefully not talking about his dick cheese. Hi, wait, wait, Davis, back again. Warwick Davis. Yeah. Celebrity. So uh, in this nightclub. <laughs> I've worked out quite quickly that as a punter, I was probably about a one or a two, no confidence, young kid, not getting any action at all. Um, But just simple fact of wearing the nightclub's t-shirt and wandering around the crowds, collecting glasses and doing anything, uh, kind of gave you another. So he called in that he worked at this like weirdo British strip club oh, with yes, like I men and women stripping in the same club. It was bizarre. Yeah, it's like a burlesque bar. He works in a burlesque bar. Yeah, but it's it's. I don't think I've ever been to a strip club in this country where men and women are both stripping at the same on the same stage. Like it's weird. Yeah, it's like you bur- go to a guy's strip club or a girl's strip club. 
No, it's a burlesque bar. He works in a burlesque bar. Yeah, but I've been to many burlesque bars too, and they don't have male burlesque performers. And this guy was like his call. He was saying that the dude would stick his cock like in your beer. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I'm just like that to me. I'd be like, I would rather hang out at a different pub where cocks aren't going in my beer. That's me personally. I would buy a pint of Carling. He can stick his fucking dick in a pint of Carling, but then I would have my good beer on the side. My good beer. <laughs> your, your Miller Lite? That's what I'm drinking right yes, now. Yes, my Miller Lite on my Fosters. <laughs> Five or six pints. I suddenly became kind of a, an interesting talking point or somebody to talk to from the staff because I was out there, not behind a bar uh, for the young girls. So... Yeah, I took full advantage of that wherever possible. Um, there were downsides as well. I'd, there was one time at the end of the night I had to uh, unblock a toilet, one of the ladies' toilets. Ugh. had a smashed pint pot in the toilet with mm-hmm. you. Wait, wait, had a smashed what? A, a smashed pint glass. Oh, a pint, pint glass. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the toilet. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. But women's toilets, I've worked in bars, and women's toilets are always worse than the men's. Women are animals as soon as they go into a bathroom, compared to the men. Men's men's toilets always smell like piss. Yeah, yeah. But women's toilets are fucking disgusting. I would never clean the toilets. I think the grossest thing about, well, grosser thing about women's toilets is, like, not only do you get shit, piss, but you also have period blood. So it's one other substance you know, that can coat the, the toilet Something bowl. Ha- yeah, and makeup as well. Something happens to certain women when they go in the toilets and they're like, oh, yeah, I could flush this tampon, but I could also chuck it on the wall. <laughs> so, whatever. Does that happen you? at your work? I've worked in bars where, like, that has happened. And the women's toilets, they're disgusting compared. <laughs> I just they picture are. some northern bird being like, fuck it. And just throwing her tampon <laughs> against the wall. Does that? Ha- I mean, is that a thing that the birds do? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I've seen it. Lived through it. It's fucking gross. Tampons, <laughs> shit, vomit. I had to get in there and or clean it um, And I didn't do that for the massive wage I was on. I did it because there were the upsides as well. Um, yeah, what's the upside well, here? Often have to. <laughs> wash the blood off the walls after the fights because uh yeah northern town i love a bit of that uh but yeah what what town do you think he's in he's what probably northern, in... right do you know warwick doesn't sound northern though like, what, I, what... I can't even tell you can like, you he place his accent like mid... no he sounds more like midlands to me than northern i wonder if i wonder if listeners can place your accent yeah, I was about to say, I'm a harsh northern person because anything above Manchester to me is northern. If you're in Manchester, you're kind of the Midlands, even though people in Manchester are like, oh, yeah, I'm well northern. No, you're not. You're not northern. <laughs> I, you it know, takes, say, after all these two years, and a half hours to after get all these years, me. I'm still ignorant of UK geography. So is Manchester like in the middle? No, it is in the north, but it's not north. It's how many, not how many hours north, north of uh, London? Four. On the train. If we're talking about to Manchester. No, on the train. Yeah, three. Three on the train. So three on the train. So three hours from north of London. I, yeah, from where I live to Manchester is a three-hour drive. So how is that still the north? 
if you're a free hour drive away. Yeah, you're definitely a northern bird. It sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm I'm as north as you can fucking go. <laughs> Just throwing tampons on the side of the bathroom wall. Warwick was clearly cleaning events. up after me. <laughs> was, uh, this girl gave me the eye all night, so I thought, oh, on my break, I'll... Um, I wonder if she was normal take size. Take to some quiet seating area and you have uh, a bit of a snog. Bit, bit of, of a, a snog. Upstairs, went my way down. I've always thought that word is just such a funny word. Snog. No. It's it's not a it's not like an arousing, attractive word. Like kiss is kind of arousing, you know. It's like I'm going to kiss yeah, your a lips. Kiss, a kiss is a different thing. A snog is something, and make out is something. Like a but, snog is when you're really kissing. Isn't it? So what is, do you is call that it what a snog greedy? is? I, I always yeah. know it's like you kiss, you make out, you know, you're like necking, I guess. But like snog to right. me sounds like you've drank like eight pints. You've already <laughs> like eaten a kebab and now you're like, Bleh! like, you know, like slobbering me, all over this girl's face. Snogging is like the next stage of, from kissing. And it, on, like making out to me is when, when you're touching. Like you're proper, you know, you're getting so wait, in the pants. There's kissing, there's snogging, and then there's heavy petting. I would never say, like, it's not the 60s. You don't have to say heavy petting. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to heavy pet right now. Heavy petting zoo. It's a good album. You snog. I love a good snog. Snogging is great. But yeah, it's very British. American. Americans can't swear like the British. Well, it's can. just and such snogging. a weird word to be like, oh yeah, snog that bird. Well, it's like I a snogger. A, it's just it, to me, it sounds like good snog. Yeah, to me, yeah. that sounds like I like <laughs> assaulted you or something. I don't know. It's a weird word. <laughs> I like it, but it's a weird word. As mm-hmm. started finger blasting, and it's funny she kind oh. of damn. She came across as grateful for the fact that I was. <laughs> Given to this badge of honor of <laughs> having a snuggle with one of the staff. Well, fuck yeah. Is- like, don't you imagine any bird would be like, I'm getting finger blasted by fucking Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. Yeah, I mean, uh, God, I wish I had a right, vagina. Right, yeah. At D, times. Right, hypothetical. Would you shag a dwarf? Not Warwick Davis, but I'd shag a dwarf. No, no, but you'd shag a dwarf, right? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Why not? I'm not an ableist. <laughs> I don't know. If, well, would I shag a dwarf? You would I shag a right. dwarf. Like, what is... Okay, a lot of women... I don't know. How tall are you? 5'4". Okay, so, so you're 5'4". Yeah. But I'm I mean, would you date side. a guy... Because a lot of women... I mean, we talk about this. A lot of women don't like short men. So would you date a guy that was 5'1"? Yeah, if he's funny. The dwarf would have to be funny as fuck. That's all I'm saying. Well, five one isn't a dwarf, but that is a short man. No, that's a short man. But like, I'm short. So if you're shorter than me, you have to. I've I've been out with somebody the same height as me, but he was so funny. That's like funny gets all right. funny. Would you date okay. a guy that was under four feet tall, like you know, three feet, eight inches, or he something? Would, <laughs> he would have to be very funny. And, what if he had like, that helium voice, that like really high pitched, like, hey, Kate, I'll eat your pussy um, from behind. 
Like, would you be into that? Like, because he's probably doesn't even need to crouch down to do it. This, uh, well, no, he wouldn't. There would have to be a lot of songs I would get him to sing before it happened. Um. <laughs> I think a lot of women would have problems with that. They do. They would. For me, uh, so next thing I know, there's a tap on my shoulder. So I shrugged it off, carried on about my business. Uh, <laughs> tapped again, more insistent again, so turned around to say, like, fuck off, I'm busy. Fuck off. And it was my manager, stood there, it's like, worry, my office, oh no, I'm gonna get <laughs> sacked. So, trundle off back to the office, and he's like, worry, not with our shirt on, please, not while you're being paid. <laughs> and that was it, on about my business, <laughs> happy days. So, yeah, that could have uh, turned out worse. <laughs> have more stories about that place. Keep smiling, guys. Cheers. Wow, high five there, Warwick Davis. Not only do you get yeah, you, yeah, not only do you get some action, you don't really get chewed out by your boss. He's like, just wear a different shirt. His boss watched though and tapped him. If he was a good boss, he would have seen, walked away, and never said anything. And just kind of let That's it happen. That's a good boss. Yeah, it is kind of yeah. weird how he interrupted. And there was like, come come to my office after work. I don't think he said it all sexy. I think it was just like, <laughs> when you're done here, come to my office, mate. Yeah, I think uh, I think Warwick is missing out on the part where his boss nailed him across the desk. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, I thought you meant like nailed him like sexually. Nailed him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah, that's what You're I mean. taking I this Warwick's... in a completely different direction. I think Warwick, you know, finger blasted a bit. Got a little, got chewed out. Not really chewed out, but was just kind of warned. And he was happy. You're saying he finger blasted and then he got anally violated by his boss on the table? That's where it should have ended. <laughs> yes. Well, thankfully, Warwick, for you, that didn't happen. Um, people, call the Sigurong Hotline, 323-522-4032. I want to hear more club stories. That's the type of story yes. I want to hear. Yeah. We have time for one email, then we got to get out of here. Uh, this uh, female listener sent this in. She wants to remain anonymous, but she said, okay, so I've accidentally asso associated my throwaway account for emailing you with my real account because I forgot the password, so this one will have to do. Quick question. Please keep me anonymous because my relatives listen to this podcast, and although this oh. nickname is not especially uncommon, I don't need any part of his brain thinking of me when he hears this. Okay, oh, I don't know if her dad listens to it already. or something. <laughs> she says, is it weird that after fingering myself, I lick my fingers? Not with a partner, but alone. It's for no, no one else's benefit. Have I been too heavily influenced by porn? Maybe. I don't know. I just thought of you guys immediately after orgasm, so that's nice. You're welcome. So is that, is that weird? No, I always do it. I like to. Wait, you lick you know your fingers I, after you come? Before, during, and after. Why not? So, wait, it's the not, whole time you're wanking, you got, you're mm -hmm. like switching hands, putting one hand in your mouth, one hand on the, the clit? Yeah, yeah. Oh, What's wrong weird. with it? No, I'm, I'm not passing any judgment. I just don't, I never thought about it. I'm not like, like when I masturbate, I'm not trying to shoot a load of cum into my mouth. That's not no. one of my goals. 
boys are, are weird about it but it's not it's not wrong why is it wrong to like taste yourself at any point it's your product you create it it's what you taste like why is that wrong well i guess it's wrong if you have bv <laughs> and it tastes like well i lo- i'm a vegetarian so my main source of protein is cheese <laughs> so why would it be wrong why is it wrong you know Go i don't I, I think it's kind of hot actually like if it I, is hot yeah like if i was watching a girl wank and then she like mm-hmm. came and then licked it off her fingers i would probably prematurely <laughs> ejaculate yeah, why why would someone think it's wrong? And you know, if a man thinks it's wrong for a woman to do that, then he obviously does not eat the pussy from behind and you don't want to <laughs> be with that's him. That's the barometer of a that man barometer. Of, of a worthwhile man is if he eats the okay. pussy from behind. Yes. We are we are setting barometers here. So if a man thinks you're weird for licking your fingers that you of what you yourself taste like, then you don't want to be with him. You don't want to have anything to do with these people because there's shit in bed. <laughs> there's shit in bed. They're also like shit not forward-thinking people. But what is wrong in it? I don't I don't see. think anything's wrong. I think it's hot. So keep doing that, anonymous listener. Uh, she writes, please send my love to Harrison. I hope he's doing okay. D, you're doing beautifully well with your temp co-host. I really enjoyed the positive comedian guy. He was so sweet. That guy was he actually was pretty sweet. sweet. He, he I might have him back sweet. on sometime. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need a piss. I look forward to the giddy feeling when you read this out in that delicious voice of yours, D. Ooh, <laughs> one of the delicious. Very rare to hear my voice being described as delicious. But I'll <laughs> she take must that be British. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people, best way to support the show is by becoming a sick and wrong patron. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Kate actually did a Patreon with me this week, and we did. We kind of went a little longer than usual, so we got yes, some more and outtakes. Got, and you got kind of pissed. Get, you got drunk. I, yeah, if you want to hear me get drunk and be spicy. <laughs> you definitely got then drunker the- than the regular co-host. You're just like, maybe, mm-hmm. get, maybe, I don't know if was it out of nerves? Like, were you nervous? And you're like, I'm going to get drunk? Or were you just like, fuck it. I'm going to throw my tampon. I was just like, yeah, I was just like, wall. fuck it. Well, because <laughs> there's a time difference, isn't there? Like, oh, yeah, 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 been, yeah. Yeah, you've been interviewing like Americans or Canadians, or they, and I'm English. So it was like, it was like, it's like five eight hours by the yeah. time. Yeah, so I'd already been like, I'm not Jizzy Jake drunk. But I'm getting that. <laughs> you didn't actually sound that bad. But uh, people go to patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Uh, we covered a lot of news. Well, we did a whole thing on the, the COVID theories with Trump. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, I launched the new T Public store. And I know this week there was like a, a big sale. I think it's back to normal pricing now, but it's actually not, it's reasonable. I brought back all the old sick and wrong shirts. So if you just go to sick and wrong podcast.com slash shop, I think it is. Uh, there's like a bunch of links to the store, go to T public and they have all sorts of stuff. They got like face masks. They have like coasters and stickers, pillows. Yeah. yeah it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And it's way better quality than a fucking shitty red bubble. So new T public store, go check it out. Uh, finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. As I mentioned before, we're going to end the show here with Suffer Little Children, which was written by Morrissey and Johnny Marr, the guitarist Johnny Marr, uh, from the Smith self-titled LP. Uh, it's a really morbid song, especially once you 
know a bit about the murders. No, but I do hate the Smiths. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I love the Smiths. I'm not a big fan of Morrissey. He's a cunt. That guy's yeah, such but a you're, cunt. you're from that time. I'm, a, I'm not from that time. I cried I many a night listening to the Smiths. You know, and we all did. But yeah, it's, a really, it's a really morbid song. And you got to say, he definitely has a way with lyrics. Um, but he mm. mentions all of the victims. Like at one point he goes, Leslie-Anne, with your pretty white beads. Oh, John, you'll <laughs> never be a man. It's like this melodramatic thing, but it's great. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, he references, uh, I think he doesn't really mention Ian Brady, but he does mention Myra Hindley. And yes. uh, when the song came out, I mean, it sparked a lot of controversy. People were really upset about it because he actually referenced these victims by their the first name. But Morrissey eventually befriended the mother of victim Leslie Ann Downey. And uh, she accepted his explanation that the song wasn't meant to be exploitative. Like it was meant to like, you know, talk about the murders. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're going to end the Whatever. show here with Suffer Little Children by the Smiths from their self-titled <laughs> LP. Uh, Kate, thank you for uh, co-hosting the show. Where can people thank learn you. more about Goldie Dawn? Like, uh, do you guys have a band camp or something? Um, yeah, we've got band camp. Instagram mainly. If you want to come for memes, I post memes daily on the stories on Instagram. What's, so, what's your Instagram handle? Goldie Dawn 666. Goldie Dawn 666. <laughs> Go check it out, people. Kate, thanks for hosting the show. People will be back next week thank at episode you. 760. Till then, take a sleazy.